When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Talk Liberty your host here from Cleveland.com, waiting for Ohio State camp to start on August 2nd. We're back from Big Ten Media Days. We have a lot to discuss. Um, Court Williams, I'm recording this uh, Wednesday evening after Court Williams committed to become the number 22 commit in Ohio State's 2020 class. We'll talk about that a little bit. I'm actually waiting. Uh, on a call from court, he and I said we'd talk today, and uh, I may interrupt this to uh, to talk to him. So I hope that happens. I have an interview with uh, Rich Exner, who is a uh, data guy at Cleveland.com for us, who is also a huge Ohio State fan. And here's the problem with that. I'm like going to scare you off this podcast before you even uh, start listening. We did like 50 minutes, and the file, when it got saved, got corrupted. So I managed to save about 25 minutes of it. Um, I'll come back when it's over and try and explain part of what you didn't hear. Um, there are a couple parts where some things dropped out and I had to edit some things together. It, the meaning is all there. There may be a hiccup or two. You, just roll with it. It's worth listening to. If I didn't think it was worth it, uh, I would have dumped it. But Rich is really good. Rich is really interesting. He really uh, helped me bring out some points about this team. And and the issue is some valid comparisons between the 2014 National Championship team and this 2019 Ohio State team. And I think there was a point, I think this got dropped out, where I actually said, should I be reconsidering my 9-3 and three prediction? So anyway... Anyone who doesn't like my nine and three will really want to listen to this. It's worth it. Um, when we come back from that, we're going to get into a couple of things that had me hot. I tweeted about this the other day. I was just ticked off uh, at some other media members about sort of how things went down in Chicago and how certain people reacted uh, to what Jim Harbaugh said in Chicago, what Jim Harbaugh had said previously about Urban Meyer on a podcast, the, the way they went about doing their jobs or not doing their jobs in regards to questioning Jim Harbaugh. So there's some things I want to get off my chest about that, and I want to take your questions. So there's a lot going on with this one. We always appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Just so you know, I've restarted my other podcast, Takes by the Lake, from Cleveland.com, which is mostly going to focus on the Browns, but deals with all the Cleveland pro sports, Cavs and Indians sometimes as well. That just went up because Browns camp starts on Thursday. 
Uh, so I recorded that on Tuesday with my friend Jake Burns that you guys have heard here on Buckeye Talk before. So that's a good one. Um, but we want to get into this conversation with Rick Sexner, Rich, Rich Exner, R-I-C-H-E-X-N-E-R. It's worth it. Bear with us just a tiny little bit. I'll explain some more about it when we come back. But as always, we appreciate you guys listening here on Cleveland.com. So here we go, kicking this off with a corrupted file that I attempted to save uh, and I think was worth it. All right, here with Rich Exner, who is... Uh, Rich, would it be fair to say you're the smartest employee at Cleveland.com? I like to think so, but I think I might have trouble getting people to, to agree with me on that one. All right, so to give you guys a little bit of background on Rich, uh, he is like our main like data guy here, and he combs the internet and combs public records and combs the world and puts together numbers that tell you stories that you would not get otherwise. He's done it with... Um, gerrymandering in Ohio. He does it with like uh, restaurant, like uh, health violations. It's like, explain to the world, Rich, how you make all of our lives better every day with your work. I just take a look at um, things that are out there and, and try to find things that are interesting and data and numbers and so forth. But my real goal is with the internet nowadays, there's so many people out there reporting, you know, that the Ohio State won the last game. But so I try to offer something different that you can't find somewhere else. So you do do sports stuff with us, and you guys may recognize Rich's name because he'll check in usually weekly during the football season with some kind of data analysis about something related to Ohio State. And so what you're saying basically, Rich, is that, for instance, someone like me who covers a game, what I do is worthless because you go beyond that and offer something that, that I can't do. I would say that it would be worthless if you just told us what the score of the game. But, Doug, you know, you tell us much more about the game. Things that we watched that we didn't see that you bring to us, right? Fancy adjectives, baby. I'm always big on fancy adjectives. (laughs) Hey, Uh, before I ever did this number stuff, though, I started out covering Ohio State football. So it's never really left. So it's fun. Anytime you invite me in to talk about it or I get to do those number of things during the week, uh, taking a look at Ohio State. And you've also written about... Ohio State football for Buckeye Sports Bulletin for years and years and years, right? That goes back to just happened to be there when it started in its first year, and hate to say this, 1981. So it's just kind of like a friendship, stay connected to old, old people, and uh, so it goes back a ways. So, all right, the reason that we're having you on, Rich, is because you have this depth of knowledge, uh, both as a journalist and as an Ohio State football fan. And the, and the thing we want to get into is a comparison that was brought up um, by, by someone who listens to the podcast of. Is there any way that this 2019 team could be like the 2014 team, the national championship team that had a young quarterback that you thought, man, you know, JT Barrett gets thrown into this late in the process after the Braxton Miller injury? Is he going to be overwhelmed? Are they going to have enough guys around him to make up for it? And then we see how that team moved its way through the season, how it got better. And obviously how it went on to win the national championship. I I made a lot of comparisons last year, to be honest, between the 2013 recruiting class and the 2017 recruiting class because they were both ranked really high. And that 2014 season was propelled by the sophomores who were part of that 2013 recruiting class. So then I thought, could those 2017 guys as sophomores propel Ohio State a year ago? So I was talking about Jeffrey Okuda and... Chase Young, and a lot of guys like that who were super highly ranked. And just like the 2014 team, they only lost one game, but they didn't win the national championship. 
those guys are all back. So it's like, I think on some level that comparison remains, but with you, as you look through the history of Ohio State football, what do you think of the comparison possibly of the 2014 national champions and maybe what this 2019 team could be? Well, maybe this would be a question back to you before we get into that, Doug. Don't we think that Ohio State, once the recruiting really kicked in here the last several years, always had enough talent that if things fell right, they could they could win them all. So, number one, we got to get to that point. Is yes. that the case? Well, the thing is, and we've talked about in the past, uh, Rich, on this podcast and written, that there was a time, I felt like, with Ohio State where you tried to peg, this could be the year. This could be the year. And, for instance, you won to peg to 2014 because so many of the guys you were relying on were only sophomores. You would have pegged 2015. You would not have pegged 2016 when they made the playoff because they were one of the very youngest teams in college football. But to your point, I'm done pegging. I'm done saying, well, they're building to this, they're building to that, because yes, with the way they've recruited, they should be viewed as a national championship contender every August. And even though I'm on the record for the moment with a 9-3 and prediction, I would still say yes to view them as a national championship contender is absolutely the right way to look at them. So part one is, do you have the talent to do it if things fall right? And I think nearly every Ohio State team in recent years had the talent to do it if things fall right. So going back to your original question, could this be the 2014 team? I say yes, because thinking about 2014, you had some unknowns that felt, first of all, you lost Braxton Miller right before the start of the season. People thought it was dead. They cleared that hurdle. But they were kind of clearing it and moving, plugging along, I want to say. They won big games. But then you had that change, that unknown. Um, Barrett goes down against Michigan. Cardell Jones comes in, the third quarterback. Hadn't played all, we're done. And that seemed to, it fell right for them that they triggered, triggered some changes both on the field. It wasn't all in motion, but it triggered some changes in the team. And it also, that team, it seemed like once they triggered changes, fell played much more freely, less stiff than early in the year. And now this year, what do we have? We've got a new coach. New coaches, it's an unknown. But we know that, you know, look at Urban Meyer in his first year. Go way back, look at Earl Bruce in his first year. Uh, look at what's happened in Oklahoma. Sometimes a little bit of change can can just bring in uh, something that, that can create something that, you know, those close games. Every team's going to have close games. But things fall right for whatever reason. Maybe that's the chemistry that can fall right. I'm not saying it will. But I think that it's it's a possibility, going back to your question, yes, they have the talent, and there, there's some possibility, some changes here that if they fall right, if the karma starts flowing early, they could really build up some momentum. I want to throw in two things here that, that will make you guys as listeners like Rich even more than you already do after that answer. One thing is that Rich, like many of you, was just explaining to me how he wishes, and sometimes he does, he fast-forwards through the part of Buckeye Talk where, for instance, I'm talking about wearing a sweater in a restaurant, and he just wants me to get back to the football stuff. So those of you over the years who have told me to talk less about square-cut pizza and robots and wearing a sweater in a restaurant, Rich is on your side. Um, and what was the second thing? There was a second thing that was that, oh, I'm going to ask you this, and I think your answer is going to make people like you more than they like me right now. Does my nine and three prediction sound crazy to you? Be not, honest. Not, be honest. He just curled his lip. You curled your lip like you wanted to say, 
I don't want to. You're sitting next to me. Yeah. I don't want to say you're crazy. I mean, if we were doing this by telephone, maybe <laughs> I'd say you're crazy. No, it's not crazy, but I think it's unlikely. You, but but it, it's, it's possible. I think 9-3 is possible. I just don't think that's a prediction. I would go, if I was a betting man on sports, and you got to be crazy to do this. Um, if you were a betting man, I don't think that's a bet you expect to win, unless you're going to get a lot for your turn. Like, Say years ago, I, where I grew up in eastern Ohio, we used to have to cover the dog races. And, and, Love dog races. And dog races is any dog can win. You get rolled in the corner. So a lot of times it's not betting the best dog. It's, oh, this one's going to give me more money back if I win. Maybe you make that bet if you're a betting man because you're going to win more money back on the bet than if you pick something else. I don't think it's crazy. I, I, I don't think it's likely. But I think it's possible. Would you go, I think most of the lines you see are the futures bets on an Ohio State over-under, I think, are, is, is 10. Would you go over 10 or under 10 wins? That's on just the regular season, yeah. out of 12 games? Yeah, 12 games. I would go over if you I had over. to pick, but yeah. boy, the people setting that line have nailed it right there. But here's what I think might, might tell the answer on Ohio State season on that 10 or 11 versus if we're talking about national championship. It might have less to do with Ohio State and more to do with how good Michigan is this year. Well, I think part of it is... Um, how good the entire Big Ten might be. But yeah, mm -hmm. I think to your point, like you have to factor how good you think Michigan might be, how good you think Nebraska might be, how good you think Penn State still might be, how good you, is Michigan State on the way down? Are they still going to give, could they give Ohio State a game to the point of winning? I think you have to factor that in. I want to get into, and again, I, I did this a year ago, and, it, and, it, and it, I feel like it, it didn't actually, it didn't quite happen as you thought it might in terms of the 2017 recruiting class and the 2013 recruiting class and the comparisons for their sophomore year. The one thing that I think is different is that what you are talking about now is the 2017 and 18 recruiting classes were both ranked as the number two in the country. So your 17 guys are now third-year players, and your 18 guys are now second-year players. So you have a great big heart of the team that was ranked number two in the country coming in. You're going to have a couple guys like Garrett Wilson who are younger than that who are going to contribute. You're going to have uh, a couple older guys, although there's not, there's not a ton of guys, but like a guy like Jordan Fuller as a senior, guys older than that who are going to contribute. I want to go through a little bit now as we think about the 2014 season and the 2019 season where specifically player to player we could have some comparison. You and I talked briefly about this when we, we said we're going to do this podcast about the idea of JT Barrett when he came in and took over for Braxton Miller late in that preseason. And here's this redshirt freshman, his second year as a college football player, Justin Field, the second year as a college football player. I feel like it's possible that stepping in without much experience, JT Barrett versus Justin Fields, I think I would take Justin Fields long term. I think for a young quarterback leading a national championship contender in his first year as a starter, I might take JT Barrett. Where do you think is a valid comparison about JT Barrett as a first-year starter versus Justin Fields as a first-year starter, and where do you think they're vastly different? Basically, JT Barrett was unknown to me before. Braxton Miller got hurt. Who is this guy? He wasn't a big recruit, right? What was he, three-star or whatever? I think he was a four-star, but, but he was not Justin Fields. He was not the number two recruit in the country. So he, I would take Justin Fields, especially with the schedule this year early. 
We uh, Ohio State is not going to play a top five team in the country. They're not going down to Virginia Tech to play when Virginia Tech was still presumed to be good. We presumed at the time last year that uh, Texas Tech was going to be really strong. Texas, TCU. TCU, TCU, I'm right. sorry. TCU last year. And it turned out TCU lost more games than one might expect. I still think they were pretty good that time of year. You don't, you don't have, you got games you could lose if you slip up. But you don't have big marquee games like that. So I take Justin Fields. As a first-year starter. As a first year, as a first year chart. See, I would take I would take JT, and we talked about this, Rich. I think JT is a high floor, lower ceiling guy than Justin Fields. In that, JT Barrett, I think, arguably played his best football as a redshirt freshman. So, so I think to your point, you feel, and this has been talked a lot over the years, the Cardale's arm, how that opened up the offense. That did that make Zeke better? Did that make Defenses respect the deep ball. I've always argued that JT was actually throwing it down the field. Devin Smith was tearing people apart that year. He caught a lot of touchdown passes down the field from JT Barrett. Does Cardale Jones have a better arm and throw a better deep ball than JT Barrett? 100%. So I think to your point, who's more like Cardale Jones, JT Barrett or Justin Fields? Justin Fields is. Justin Fields has the kind of arm where he will be able to threaten teams down the field more effectively than JT Barrett ever did in the, over the course of his career. So to your point that if we're comparing 2019 and 2014, you can't just look at JT Barrett as the quarterback. You've got to look at the totality of the quarterback play because it seems like you think, do you think that that was required for them to win the national championship? Do you think the right mix was JT early, get you through the regular season, week by week by week, steady, and then you get to the postseason, and here comes a little more boomer bust with Cardale, but that was exactly what they needed. I don't know what happens week by week if Cardale Jones is early, but I really believe that Ohio State does not win a national championship if Barrett's the quarterback in the playoffs. And there has been this great discussion since then of how much upside does your quarterback need to beat Bama? And I think a lot of times over the years in this podcast— I think it is a fair, the most important comparison for Ohio State football now in everything they do is, does it beat Bama? Now, when I say does it beat Bama, that's my shorthand for can you win a national title with it? It also, does it beat Clemson? Does it beat Georgia? Does it beat Oklahoma? But does it beat Bama? And I think JT Barrett wins you the Big Ten. Does JT Barrett beat Bama? I don't think the answer is definitively no, he doesn't beat Bama, but I certainly the argument that Cardale Jones gives you a better shot to beat Bama is certainly a very strong argument. I would agree to that. So, but along those lines, does Justin Fields beat Bama? Top-end Justin Fields does. Top-end Justin Fields compared to JT Barrett. There's no comparison. On ceiling of what Justin Fields could be and could be by the end of this year, I think there's a greater chance that Justin Fields, by the end of the year, could be like Cardell Jones, put you over the top. My question is, can he be enough JT Barrett, week to week to week to week to week, steady, 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 that gives you the opportunity to play for a national championship and make the playoff at the end of the year? That's a good question, and it's the complete unknown, because JT definitely was the guy that put you in the hunt for the Big Ten title, but the... I, I, you talk about floors and ceilings. I'm not so sure the ceiling was there to win a national championship with a lot of help. And it might not all go back to the quarterback either. Going back to that 2014 team again, they relied on the quarterback to run the football up because JT Barrett was so good at running the football. Cardell Jones was not. So what'd they do? 
they they opened up uh, Zeke to run for football more, and maybe running Zeke more helped everything else too. And that's that's something that's not on Barrett, that but that's on the change of the philosophy that the you know the coach is going in on play calling, and maybe that helped them beat Bama too. And then don't forget we have a guy named Spencer throwing a touchdown pass in that game, right? Yeah, I mean it is, and and, and let's get to some of this now. I mean again, the, the the proof was in the pudding by the time we got to the 2016 NFL draft after the 2015 season. And Ohio State set a record with 10 guys drafted in the first three rounds. And it was the heart of the national championship team in 2014. Like, you ask yourself, will, will the 2000, in, you know, in, in a year or two, will this team have 10 guys drafted in the first three rounds of the draft? I don't know. And we're going to try to go through it here a little bit. The one thing, and you had mentioned this about Zeke, and I, I remember this clear as day. That was the year of the running back in the Big Ten. And I just called up. The rushing yards among Big Ten backs that year. Melvin Gordon at Wisconsin ran for 2,587 yards. Tevin Coleman at Indiana, who was awesome, 2,036 yards. David Cobb at Minnesota, 1,629. Amir Abdullah at Nebraska, 1,611. Jeremy Langford, Michigan State, 1,522. And Justin Jackson at Northwestern, 1,187. In the midst of that is Ezekiel Elliott, who ran for 1,878 yards. I remember Urban Meyer very specifically. Everybody was writing about all the great running back talent in the Big Ten. And Urban Meyer, in the midst of that season, was asked about Gordon and Coleman and Cobb and Abdullah and Lankford. And he said, well, I like our guy too. And at that moment, in the middle of the year, Urban Meyer, like, throwing Ezekiel Elliott into the middle of the conversation with Melvin Gordon and Tevin Coleman and Amir Abdullah seemed a little presumptuous. Like, wow, are you... And then by the end of the year, it was like, yeah, of course. Like, Melvin Gordon finished second on the Heisman. By the end of the year, it was like, would you rather have Melvin Gordon or Ezekiel Elliott? Not a question. Not a question. So that's how far Ezekiel Elliott came. At the beginning of that year, you weren't even 100% sure that he was like the every down back. By the end of that year, he was the best running back in college football. I think everybody would agree with that. My question is, for 2019, can J.K. Dobbins do that? Could we be talking about J.K. Dobbins? We've seen draft project projections. He could be a first-round pick. Do you think J.K. Dobbins, by the end of the year, can be as dominant as Ezekiel Elliott was in 2014? If you'd asked me in the middle of J.K. Dobbins' freshman year, I'd say absolutely yes. But I feel like we haven't seen that J.K. Dobbins lately. Is it because he's splitting time? He had... He had an injury or something at one point, but I think maybe more so the, the interruption with Weber. I had no idea that Zeke was as fast as he was until that run at the end when he had those three 200-yard games in the Big Ten Championship and, and the playoffs. Dobbins showed that out of the gate. He showed that the way Maurice Claret years ago showed it, out of the gate. He has those tools. So, yes, I, I think he can, and I think that's the thing that could really help Justin Fields this year. Now, what falls a little bit more on J.K. Dobbins now, this is the first time... It does make it... Okay, I just said a little... I'm going to contradict myself. I just said a little bit ago that things opened up for Zeke when they started throwing deep, and, and that made it easier for Zeke to run. Now I'm also going to say it can help things on a running back if you have an extra running back in the backfield. He's not going to have an extra running back in the backfield. He's going to be out there. But, boy, he, he sort of looked like he had the talent to me when he was a freshman to do this type of thing. I agree. I think I agree. I think the point of that, like, we didn't see the, see the real J.K. Dobbins last year, which he has said, which Tony Alford has said. He was in his own head about sharing time and trying to hit their home run all the time. I think, uh, I think J.K. Dobbins' top end is not quite Ezekiel Elliott level, which is like, again, is, I mean, 
few running backs have. Do we even know how good he was even after that championship run until he got in the NFL and saw how right. he instantly tore up the NFL? So I, I do think, like, again, the, the idea that, like, well, I don't know if J.K. Dobbins is as good as Ezekiel Elliott. It's like, okay, well, like, what kind of analysis is that? Not many guys are as good as Ezekiel Elliott. Whether J.K. Dobbins could have the same type of impact on a team that's competing for a national title as Zeke did late in that year and in the playoff, running for 250 yards like every playoff game it seemed like, they have he could. Like, the answer isn't no. And I think the way we would describe a true national championship contender is you've got to have a back that can make that kind of difference. And I think with J.K. Dobbins, the answer is maybe he could. Let's go to the receivers. I think it was a perfect mix of receivers in 2014. You had a deep threat in Devin Smith, who had 799 receiving yards. You had Michael Thomas, who only had 680 receiving yards in 2014, which is just like crazy on a lot of levels, but it's because they spread the ball around. Um, you had Jalen Marshall. You had Evan Spencer, who um, was certainly uh, a factor as a blocker and as a leader, but was not a go-to guy offensively. Um, you had Dontre Wilson, who flashed at times that year. You, you had a lot of guys contributing. When I think, though, about Spencer, Thomas, and Smith, deep threat, guy who can do it all, and then, like, blocker, right? Mm -hmm. I just thought the three of them fit together so well uh, with what you want receivers to do. When we think about Ben Victor, Austin Mack, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, uh, the guys that we expect to be on the field for Ohio State, and then... Obviously, K.J. Hill and uh, Jalen Gill in the slot. Again, can they play at the level of Devin Smith, Michael Thomas? I was, from day one, I was a fan of Michael Thomas. He was one of those guys, it's like when Chris Carter came on the field at Ohio State. You could watch him for three plays and said, this guy knows how to play receiver, unlike other receivers that are out there, no matter how talented they are. Chris Carter would come back and jump the ball, things I would never saw receivers do before. Thomas instantly... Ran great patterns, but on that team, he only had 54 catches. I'm thinking, they're not using him. But that shows you the kind of talent that they had on that team. And boy, I don't know. To have Zeke and Thomas, forget about all this quarterback talk we had. You had Zeke and Thomas as two of your key players. Thomas didn't have big numbers, but it was clear he was the player. Now we see how good he is in the NFL. That's the type of talent that was on that team in 14. And that's, that's the thing we're talking about. Like This is the discussion we're having. We're trying to ask, is this a reasonable comparison? Is this a reasonable way of thinking about the 2019 team? And you start going through 2014, and it's like, boy, they sure had a lot of like future absolute studs. It's a high bar, man. But I don't know these guys now like you know them. You get to see, what, like five minutes of practice in the spring? Yeah. How, how good are these? Are there Michael Thomas and these young receivers? Yeah, I mean, like, maybe there is. I often, in my preseason analysis, maybe do not account enough for the like, we haven't seen it yet from some guys, but you know it's going to happen. For instance, you are not the only person who would have said, I always like Michael Thomas. Let's remember what Michael Thomas was. In 2012, Michael Thomas had three catches for 22 yards. In 2013, they redshirted him. They redshirted him to like get him straight. In 2014, when they won the national championship, Michael Thomas, coming into that year, in two seasons at Ohio State, had three catches. And then in 2014, he showed us for the first time, and people had inclinations maybe, but then he showed, wow, this is could be the guy who's going to turn out to be the best receiver in the NFL. And by the end of his career, 
I think many, 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 many of us who covered Ohio State were saying, we think Michael Thomas might be the best future pro on this team. And that includes Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm not so sure we were wrong. So then maybe we shouldn't expect Garrett Wilson in his first year out of high school to do that. But I think, I think the point, and that some of you guys have said this kind of thing to me, I do think that is a habit of mine. I'm a little bit of a show me first, even though Marshawn Lattimore went from nothing and injured to an All-American and then the NFL Rookie of the Year. That was a two-year jump. He went from not on the field, hamstring injuries, played for the first time extensively and was an All-American, and the next year was the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. That's the kind of leap. And Malik Hooker did kind of the same thing. It is hard for me to assume those things, even though this is my 15th year doing this, because I don't think it's fair. And at some point, like to say, well, I'm sure we'll be... Who? Like, are you sure? But the history of Ohio State would show you maybe you don't get those leaps across the board, but somebody's going to leap. And there are going to be guys who leap this year that haven't done it yet. Well, the classic leap is uh, what would be the 2005 game, I guess, up at Michigan. Carpenter goes down linebacker that Buckeye fans had come to know would be a pretty darn good linebacker for Ohio State. He goes down early in that game, and there's this guy that nobody can pronounce his name, Laronitis, comes in. You know, maybe, maybe you following that stuff day to day said this guy's good and it'll be a problem. I didn't know who this guy was, and he right. comes in, and look who what he became. So I, that's the wild card. Are there those players on this roster? That's a good reason to move to the offensive line right now because a similar story to that James Laurinaitis appearing in the Michigan game is what happened with Pat Alfline on the offensive line in 2013. Marcus Hall gets thrown out of the Michigan game. They decide not to play Marcus Hall the next week uh, in the Michigan State uh, Big Ten Championship game. Pat Elfline comes in for Marcus Hall for much of the Michigan game, then starts the next week at Michigan State, and Pat Elfline begins a career that's going to be an All-American career and a future NFL starter. That 2014 offensive line, you had Taylor Decker as a third-year guy at left tackle, Billy Price, who we, in that, that preseason, we were saying, who's going to be the other guard? Who's going to be the other guard? This was a guy who had been a defensive player at one point, who had been playing center at one point was not going to win the center job, and they said maybe he'll be a guard. He became Billy Price. He became an All-American and future first-round pick. This was his first year as a starter, and he would tell you how he struggled. Pat Alfline and Billy Price were much lower-rated recruits than Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are. Nicholas Petit-Ferrer is a much higher-rated recruit than Daryl Baldwin was at right tackle. Daryl Baldwin had never started before. This is a young offensive line, but this was a young offensive line in 2014 that was coming off a year losing Corey Lindsley, losing Andrew Norwell, losing Marcus Hall. You thought, how are they going to do it? And they did it. Do you believe in this young offensive line? Or do you have concerns about this young offensive line? Could they get the job done like these guys did? I assume that if they recruit people to Ohio State, that there should be five guys that would be good offensive line. I did not know who Pat Fline was. But when the people talk, when you talk to the people after the game, they act like, no, are they telling us the truth or not? They knew through practices they said that he could come in and do the job and they had confidence in him. I don't know. I guess I'll throw it back at you. Do you get that sense out of, I don't know whether you get a chance to talk to the offensive line coach much and Ohio State's so daggone restrictive on, on who you can talk to when. Do you think there's that confidence level or do you feel like, oh, man, we've got to make sure we find five guys to put out there? I think there's a lot of confidence in Wyatt Davis. I think there's, there is a, a very solid degree of confidence in Josh Myers. 
Um, I think Nicholas petit Fair was the right guy to win that open job at right tackle. And so those are three guys who were all national top 50 recruits who have just never started before. But I actually think there is a decent amount of confidence there. And then they've got to figure out the other guard spot, but it's probably going to be Jonah Jackson, the transfer from Rutgers, who's played in the Big Ten and started before. So, again, it's a situation where somebody could say, and I've been saying that they lost four starters on the offensive line. But if you believe in them, and I think Ohio State does, there are also reasons you could say we are very confident they're going to get the job done. Let's talk about this defense. Um, that team in 2014, the, the one thing where I think uh, we might have the, the greatest um, degree of uncertainty where things maybe wouldn't match up is the idea of uh, that linebacker core. Darren Lee came out of nowhere. Raquan McMillan kind of came out of nowhere, but Josh Perry was a leading tackler. He was a veteran guy. They had Curtis Grant around as a veteran guy. It's like the more I talk about it, the more I think like, yeah, there are comparisons. I think they need some fresh blood on the defense, right? But if you're going to tell me that like Tarada Mitchell or Dallas Gant or one of these young linebackers who haven't played before are going to come out of nowhere and have a Darren Lee type of season, I don't think that's impossible. So I think... We saw some young talent flash on that 2014 defense. They, What they can't do is just play the same guys across the board as last year, but especially looking at linebackers, again, I think maybe you could find guys who say, yeah, Darren Lee. You didn't know who Darren Lee was before 2014. Neither did the recruiters, right? Right. I mean, he's, he was he's a high school quarterback. We're not talking about – that's why sometimes – I'm probably in the minority on this on people that really are into college football, but I don't get too excited about four and five stars because – People applying those stars, what do they really know? Except, oh, this guy's being recruited by all the big schools, so he should be a five-star. Now, obviously, five-star has a lot more chance to be good than a three-star. But we didn't know Darren Lee. Um, so I don't know about that. But what I would say is, looking at Ohio State the last couple of years, I don't feel like the linebackers are guys who make big plays. I think, wow, that was a that was a play. And so hopefully what you're saying right now is, uh, wow, that was uh, that was a good podcast. It's too bad it got cut off. So that's where we're going to stop that. I, I just couldn't save any more of the rest of it. Um, so I apologize to Rich Exner. Really good stuff. He's just such a a smart and longtime Ohio State fan. I'm going to make sure we have him back on here again because he writes some really good data stuff for us on Ohio State. Some other sports things when he's not doing you know real life stuff. Um, but he has a good grasp of that. But basically what... What we went on to say there is sort of in the rest of that as we got to the defensive side of the ball is that if you want to tell me that, you know, what Duran Grant and Eli Apple were in 2014 with Grant as sort of the veteran guy who would be a fourth round pick, Eli Apple went on to be a first rounder. Is that what Damon Arnett and Jeffrey Okuda could be for this team? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, there's a version of that that I certainly would buy. I think Jeffrey Okuda could even be better than Eli Apple. Uh, if you want to tell me that 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 Jordan Fuller uh, is is going to be a version of Von Bell. You know, if you want to tell me that Chase Young's a version of Joey Bosa. And again, we've sort of talked about this before with a lot of comparisons between the recruiting classes. But I think, you know, th th there is an upside there. It's a good reminder for me to remember upside. I know a lot of you guys who are are thinking that my 9-3 and three is nuts. You're remembering the upside more than I am. So I thought it was a good question, a good way to get into this team a little bit. And and what I would like to do next week is have a 12-0 and 0 podcast uh, we'll see if I can pull that together and just get some people on, maybe some of you guys, maybe some other people. I don't know if I could try to get Joey Galloway, who made his 12-0 and prediction, and just say, like, where, how does 12-0 and work? What does 12-0 and look like? What do you think 12-0 and requires on both sides of the ball? And even again, you know, the 2014 team didn't go 12-0. and So, like, I think 
part of what I'm doing in 2019 is leaving room for a bad day, for a bad day for a young quarterback like they had in 2014. It's just they were able to overcome it. And they weren't able to overcome those bad days with the way the playoff committee saw them uh, in 2015 2017 and 2018. So, so you know, if they have three bad days and they go nine and three, then there's no playoff discussion. But um, it's going to be hard to be perfect. But I'll do the 12 and 0 podcast. I'm in on the 12 and 0 podcast. I'm I'm willing to do that because I think it could be fun. Because you know, I'm I'm not. It's it's not that I'm changing my mind, and I'm not changing my mind. But I'm going to allow my mind to be opened up to what you guys are seeing. And I think it has been, but I think when you start putting it in context, like the 2014 team and all the times that Ohio State uh, has had young players who popped, absolutely popped right away. That's a good reminder for me. All right, let's get into the the other thing that I wanted to talk about that I was so fired up. I'm not as fired up now as I was once upon a time, but I don't want to uh, let the energy completely dissipate. So we talked to you guys last week after uh, Ohio State had spoken at uh, at Big Ten Media Days in Chicago, and then on this on the next day on Friday, it was Michigan Day, and so you guys might have read um, if you're my text followers, and I'm going to promote that in a little bit too. You guys got a sense of the you know once again I wouldn't call it a confrontation, but I pushed Jim Harbaugh a little bit. We had more of a confrontation I think in 2016 when I kind of went after him for. Some of the things he had said about Gene Smith and Kirby Smart and uh, Nick Saban that that I feel like part of what how I want to deal with Jim Harbaugh is like if you're not afraid to call people out, I, I'm not questioning your right to call people out. I might question what you're trying to gain by doing it, but you certainly are allowed to do that, and I'm allowed to call you out to your face. And so if I get basically one opportunity a year at Big Ten Media Days to say to your face, I'm not going to write about it behind your back. I'm not going to rely on somebody else. I'm going to say, why are you doing this? And I want to see how you react. And I think you need, if you're going to be a person who's going to be very public with your feelings about other people, that I'm going to be public in asking you about that. And so Jim Harbaugh, and we'll get to the media thing here. Jim Harbaugh had said the thing on the podcast where he said controversy follows Urban Meyer wherever he went. I wasn't disputing that. I wasn't, I wasn't, you can't dispute that. Urban Meyer's record is Urban Meyer's record. And that was my initial story that I wrote off that. You can't dispute Jim Harbaugh's 0-4 record against Ohio State. You can't dispute the fact that Urban Meyer had a bunch of arrests at Florida and that his career in his final year at Ohio State contained a three-game suspension for his mishandling of the Zach Smith situation. And that will always be part of his record. So it's not that... I disagree with it. And I think maybe some Ohio State fans who watched the video of, of when I asked Jim Harbaugh those questions and then my friend Tim May uh, chimed in with a really good question that got a really good answer as well. Tim May is the best. May have thought, I think some people appreciated like, hey, you're going after Jim. And I get that. I mean, that's but that's not my intention. My intention isn't to go after him on the facts. My My intention is to question him on his way of handling his business. So now I'm going to question the way other people handle their business. And this is the thing that bothers me. There are, on two levels, this is what bothers me. And I debated whether I should call people out by name. And I don't think I'm going to. Um, if you really want to like know, and maybe if you're a tech subscriber, I'll tell you who I'm talking about. But it bothers me the assumption that some people in the media have that like the idea of, oh, Jim Harbaugh's going to get asked about that. 
The idea that like someone is gonna get asked. So Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune asked Jim Harbaugh about the comments at the podium stuff for the Big Ten for the Big Ten Network. Okay, that was public. That was on the Big Ten Network. He basically asked him if there was anything he regretted about the Urban Meyer comments. Now, I'm not going to ask that question on the Big Ten Network because I don't want to give free content to the Big Ten Network. I don't want it to be, I don't want to have a confrontation from Jim Harbaugh that's going to wind up on SportsCenter because that's my work and I want it for me. I don't want it for SportsCenter. So I saved my questions for when we got to the hour-long session on the side where it's certainly not private and there are TV cameras there, but it's not quite the same as being on live on the Big Ten Network. What I don't like is the presumption by some people who are writing and reporting for major outlets. And, 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 and I don't, this is a lot of inside baseball stuff. I was going to tell you guys at the top, like, if you want to just dispense with this, fast forward, because this is some inside journalism stuff. And, and like, there's a part of me that one day would love to teach like a sports journalism course because I, I, um, uh, I have a huge ego and I like to like force my opinion on people. And I would love for like young, malleable minds to uh, pay for me to have me force my opinion on them. But when I was a young reporter, I, I took my—I I was on my first beat when I was uh, 24 years old. I went and interviewed for a job. I couldn't even rent a car because uh, I wasn't old enough to rent the car for my job interview when I got to the airport. And uh, I was scared out of my mind. I was absolutely scared out of my mind. I covered the Philadelphia Phillies for four years for a suburban paper. And the guys who wrote for the big-time papers in Philadelphia, I just was intimidated. I thought I was an idiot. I didn't think my questions were valid. I didn't want to embarrass myself. And so I rode their coattails for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And so I get it when you're young. And there's a lot of young guys on the Ohio State beat, some of them who ask a heck of a lot more questions than I ever asked. But my expectation is not for somebody who's 24, 25, 26 years old in your first, second, even third year on the beat to like try to get in a fight with Jim Harbaugh. That's fine. That's not your job. That's my job. But if you're old like me, if you have any gray hair, if you've been around this beat for a while, I don't appreciate the implication that like it will be asked. Why aren't you asking it? And here's my thing. If you're not going to ask it, either A, because you don't have the guts to ask it, or B, because you don't think it's a worthy line of questioning, don't write it. Don't write it off my questions. And I know that's a silly thing to do to say that because all these questions are public and they're there for anybody. And sometimes I get mad when I ask a question in a press conference and everybody writes the story before I do. And I'm not trying to say that. I mean, I, I understand it. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you if you've been around the block and if you think it's important, why are you waiting for me to ask it? That, that bothers me a little bit. And then if you think it's silly and you think it's not a story and you think I'm making a, making a mountain out of a molehill, then do not write it. Do not talk about it on your podcast. Do not put it in a headline. Just ignore it if you think it's not worthy of being asked, okay? So that's just like from a standpoint of like a local thing, Um where if you're a veteran on this beat, when I asked those questions, the guy who backed me up on it was a guy who's retired now, Tim May. He's freelancing for Letterman Row, and he's going to do a fantastic job because he's done a fantastic job from day one on this beat covering Ohio State for the dispatch. But don't wait for me, man. Like, I, I don't, and, and, and then don't talk about it, and then don't wait for me, and then when you talk about it, act like it was a stupid thing because you're talking about it, brother. So here's the other thing. There was a, a person in particular, and this is regards in, in regards to national people. This is actually what made me far more far more angry. And uh, 
made me tweet the thing that I tweeted. And I'm not going to call the person out by name, but maybe you can figure it out. It's for a major national outlet. This person was there. This person was there at the Jim Harbaugh news conference. Did not hear this person open open their mouth for one for one second. And then they wrote an entire column about how this whole line of questioning is silly. But they did not ask Jim Harbaugh a question on the other side of things. For instance, Jim, you've been had some people uh, question why you said that about Urban Meyer or criticized you for saying that about Urban Meyer. How important do you think it is for coaches to call out the behavior of other coaches, not just as it pertains to wins and losses, but to their behavior off the field? Do you feel that is a role for a coach to acknowledge and call out that behavior? Wouldn't that have been a good question? If you thought that, open your mouth and ask the question. Don't have your national organization send you somewhere so you can sit and do literally nothing. And then opine like you are the the the, the final voice on the situation. When I saw you there, sitting there, literally doing nothing. If you don't like my line of questioning, if you think my line of questioning is out of bounds, that's fine. Then ask your own question on a similar topic. But here's what I'm doing. I'm serving my readers. And if you think that I'm stupid for questioning why Jim Harbaugh said controversy follows Urban Meyer when clearly controversy has been part of Urban Meyer's career, if you think I'm stupid, then don't write it. Or maybe ask a question yourself as you talk about how silly my line of questioning was. But for you to sit there with your national job, that if I had your job, I would crush you. And you're acting like my questions are stupid. I'm serving my readers. Because in Ohio, for Ohio State fans, and that's who I represent. I am not an Ohio State fan. I am not born and bred in Ohio. I am not an Ohio State graduate. And none of that matters. I am not biased, but when I am in that moment and my company has sent me to Chicago to do my job, my job is to be there for you. And if I think it matters to you, I'm going to ask anybody about it. I asked Urban Meyer about it last year. Who asked Urban Meyer the questions about all the Zach Smith stuff when he got off the podium? Me. Who asked Jim Harbaugh why he said this? Why he thought this was the right thing to say? Who read Nikki Meyer's tweet? about how was he deflecting from his 0-4 record? Who read that to his face? Me. So don't question me and my motives and tell me I'm doing my job wrong. Because what I'm doing is serving my readers. Are you serving your readers and serving your employer by showing up at a national event and sitting on your hands? And opining when you don't have the guts to ask a question yourself? My least favorite thing in this business is people who have very big opinions in their stories and will not ask a question to somebody's face. I People in my business, in the mainstream media, have been very high and mighty about people blogging in their basement and making fun 10 years ago of, of this whole thriving blogosphere and internet age that has absolutely aided and improved the coverage of sports. And a lot of it is has been based on you don't have access, you don't want access necessarily, right? You're going to have your opinion from afar. That's great. You're doing this in a different way than I am. You're not trying to be on the scene and and get the answers and ask the questions. You're going to have an opinion maybe statistically, maybe watching film, 
maybe just as someone who who understands the program and understands football or whatever sport, you're going to have that opinion from afar. And that's great. That's a completely valid opinion. That's not what I'm talking about. But don't show up and then do something that you could have done from afar. Don't spend the money and walk the walk and be afraid to talk the talk and then tell me that I'm doing my job wrong when my concern is for one group of people. The people who read my stories at cleveland.com, who subscribe to my text program, and who listen to this podcast. So I got in an argument on Twitter with somebody who was a college, former college football writer who frankly did not write about the game, wrote about all the issues around it. And this is my last point on this. And I'm glad I got wound up. And I hope you don't find this boring. If you want to fast forward through it, you can. But this is how this business works. And sometimes I get really tired of this too. I talk about the amateurism model and how I think players should be paid and the issues with concussions and reporting concussions and CTE and keeping players safe and all these things that matter. All these things that matter more than the score, right? There's the bigger picture here, but we can't only do the bigger picture. So of course, of course, Zach Smith's behavior on a larger scale and whether Urban Meyer and Gene Smith correctly handled a coach who was behaving in such a manner is a gigantic thing. But at some point, guess what? We're allowed to talk about football. And we talked about that other stuff a whole lot a year ago. And guess what? There were repercussions. Zach Smith's not here. Urban Meyer's not here. Jim Harbaugh still is. So if Jim Harbaugh is going to dredge up the past, and something that we've covered, I'm not sure there's a lot of new ground to cover there. If he's going to go there, then I'm going to go there too. So for me on Twitter, I'm going to get in a fight on Twitter. If you say this line of questioning is silly as someone who was a former college sports writer and now works for a think tank kind of thing, and they're only concerned with the larger issue. Sports are allowed to be fun. Sports are allowed to be about the rivalry. Sports are allowed to be about the games and the, and, and the confrontations and the stuff that doesn't matter because we all have stuff that matters more all the time every day. So there's room for that in college football. Absolutely. There's a need to talk about that in college football. But not only that, not everything is a bigger issue. Some things are just a game, man. And my question to Jim Harbaugh is, when you say that about Urban Meyer, how does that help Michigan win this game that you haven't won yet? That's my question. I'm not disputing whether there's truth to it. I'm wondering why the Michigan coach is choosing to talk about it a year after the fact. That's all. So if you're in the media and maybe you came across this and you think it applies to you or whatever, then fine. So I'm not going to name people by names, but the, the, the thing that I dislike the least, no, dislike the most, is people telling me how to do my job when I'm out there doing it. So don't show up, keep your mouth shut, assume something will be asked, because nothing will be asked. A person asks it. And as long as I'm on this beat, that's going to be me. And I'm going to do it because it serves the people that I care about. So if your opinion is it's silly, my opinion is you're not doing your job and you're not serving the people you're supposed to serve. We'll be back with your questions about Ohio State and everything else here on Buckeye Talk. All right, I'm sure some of you uh, hated that and thought that was like a totally ego-driven thing. So I'm going to give myself a pass and say that, you know, I'll give myself uh, 15 minutes to rant about something that maybe only I care about on this podcast once a year. So I had to get that off my chest. I apologize. I want to get to the questions from you guys, though. So uh, the Court Williams commitment is in, as I mentioned. I actually, I'm just I'm texting, I'm DMing with him again right now, hoping to try to get Court on the phone for the story about West Coast recruiting that I've been talking about for months and months and months. Um, good get. 
if you guys didn't see the story that I put up Wednesday morning, um, he is not a top 100 guy, at least by the 247 composite rating, and he's not a bottom 350 guy. But the story I wrote about was like this this balance in the Ohio State recruiting class that they have eight guys in the top 100, nine guys 350 or lower. And to me, it's a way of putting into context that that's of the 22 recruits. So there's like the middle, there's not as many guys in the middle. Um, they have had the best success, and I went through and I explained this in the piece. They've had the best success with highly rated national guys and lower rated guys from Ohio or nearby states. Where they go wrong is with lower rated national guys. They don't work out. Um, but we know they've had a lot of success with lower rated Ohio guys like Darren Lee and Malik Harrison and and um, got Malik Hooker, who's from Pittsburgh, is practically from Ohio. Guys like that. And then, of course, Ryan Day is saying the foundation of this recruiting is always going to be Ohio. It's not. I mean, I, I get why he says that. And clearly, they're doing a really good job with the strategy in Ohio. But it's not. Because if, if, if you said we're going to take 20 out of 25 kids from Ohio, <coughs> I apologize. You wouldn't win anything. I mean, you wouldn't. You can't win a national title that way. Jim Trestle did with a lot of Ohio kids. You can't do it anymore. So, you know, Paris Johnson's huge. And I'm not downplaying Paris Johnson. And I'm not downplaying any Ohio kids. I'm saying I like both approaches. So I like the two-prong. I like local lower rated, higher national rated. And that means not getting as many higher rated national guys. And I'm okay with that. And I think they're okay with that because if they weren't, they, they wouldn't have 22 spots taken up already. Um, when you know you've got a running back that you still need to get, maybe a second running back, maybe a second quarterback, um, maybe another defensive lineman in there, but like you're getting up against it. 22 guys in this class is as many as any as any team in the country has right now. Uh, Alabama, Michigan, some other teams also at 22, but like they're filling up quick. And 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 if they didn't have it as a strategy, they wouldn't have an offensive lineman from Ohio who's rated like 734 in the nation. They wouldn't have him in the class right now, but they chose to do that. And and. I just brushed on this in the story with Michigan. Michigan has like 12 guys rated 350 or lower, but they only have one guy in the top 100. Michigan's taken lower rated guys 350 and under because they have to. Most schools, a lot of schools, taking kids that lowly, that who, who are lower rated. And, and it's not the end all be all, but it, it's, an, it's a sign of strategy, right? I mean, it's, a, you know, I get it. There are exceptions to the rule. They're the five-star busts and the, and the two-star guys have become all Americans. I get it. But on average... You're going to get more out of the five stars. So um, Michigan would take more five stars if they could get them, but they can't. And I'm not. I mean, that's just a fact in this class. So Ohio State is 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 taking kids ranked in the 400s, 500s, 600s, 700s, and and bypassing the opportunity to add another top hundred kid. And like I get it and I like it, but in the meantime, they're still adding a lot of top hundred kids. Basically, as almost as many as they have in the past. The eight they have nationally right now, they'll probably get to 10 in the top 100. This is basically as many as anybody. It's just they're, and certainly not, they're actually not bypassing necessarily top 100 kids. They're, they're bypassing, you know, national guys in, in the, you know, at 150, national guys at 175, national guys at 225, and taking some Ohio kids. So I like the double prong approach. Go read that story at cleveland.com. Uh, but the court, the court Williams looks like a, a bullet. Uh, I asked Jim Harbaugh about the bullet and recruiting to that position. Um, you know, they just, you want the right kind of guy, but he said they're not that hard to find. You just, I think it's about finding, at least being creative and court sort of plays that position. I think at, uh, at, at St. John Bosco in the LA area plays a similar position now, but 
you know, you got to extrapolate a little bit. You got to think about the right athlete. Does he have the smarts? Does he have the size? Does he have the speed? Does he have the tackling ability and the coverage ability and all the things that you, the special specific things you want out of that bullet that, that Michigan saw with Jabril Peppers, that Michigan seen with Khalid Hudson. Like, you've got to just find the right guy and put him in there. So, like, maybe Cameron Martinez will be that kind of guy. And, again, Ohio State's done that in the past with certain guys. But it's like turning Darren Lee from a quarterback into an outside linebacker. Do you have the ability to sort of extrapolate? And I think maybe if Darren Lee was coming in right now, he might he might be a bullet. So um, that's where that is. I don't think it's impossible to find them. But you've just got to make sure that you can, uh, you can in- envision them in the role. Um, and it might not be as much of a tough of a transition for a guy like Court Williams, but I think down the line as they recruit to this bullet position, maybe they are going to find more guys who are high school running backs, quarterbacks, and that kind of thing that you think, yeah, this guy can be a bullet. G Nilly 97 who always is on my side even when I'm mad at everyone. Most likely first-team All-American not named Chase Young. I think it's Jeffrey Okuda. Um... I think you can feel that coming. Again, we talked a couple weeks ago, Albert Breer, our friend, with uh, with uh, the story talking about how uh, NFL people see Jeffrey Okuda as a potential top 10 pick. So size, speed, he's, he's a top 10 national recruit. He's everything, developing into everything. And you saw it in the second half of last year, but especially in the Rose Bowl. Um, I think like from a, I think from a athletic standpoint and from what you want in a corner, I think probably size and speed wise he's probably the the best athletic package since Marshawn Lattimore I mean I I thought Marshawn Lattimore with his speed and how physical he could be and how he could get up on a receiver uh was just was just absolutely everything you wanted but I think Okuda from that standpoint might even be above guys like Denzel Ward or Eli Apple or Bradley Roby or Gary on Conley that he's just he's got everything you want and you can see him putting it together and so that's why I think uh that's why I think that's my candidate for that is Jeffrey Okuda and I want to interject something here as I go back to my rant briefly, I'm not infallible. I do a lot wrong in my job. I've done a lot, lot wrong on the Ohio State beat. And so I want to make sure that I acknowledge, and I try to do this, but I want to acknowledge people who who do things really well. And I think we all have different strengths. But, um, you know, some of this recruiting stuff, and you guys know this, I just want to make sure that, like, people don't think I'm just trying to call out everybody. But when you look at, like, what Jeremy, Jeremy Birmingham has done at 11 Warriors and now at Letterman Row and uh, – Taylor Lehman, I think, is doing a really good job at 11 Warriors. And, and I'm not trying to leave people out or anything on purpose. It's just, you know, there's some really good, there's some really, really good recruiting writing uh, going on in the Ohio State beat. And, and they just are on top of things in a way that, that I'm not. And so I want to make sure, like, I acknowledge stuff like that because they deserve credit for that. And there are moments, absolutely, when they write things or break things or, or create a story that I end up writing about. And I certainly try to credit them when I do. Um but they're great at stuff like that. I always I, th- I try to bring up Dave Biddle from Bucknuts because every time Biddle asks a question in a news conference, and he's usually, usually our leadoff hitter uh, in the news conferences, I, I love it because I think Biddle asks stuff where he already knows what the answer is, and he's trying to get somebody on the record about it. But he actually, with his reporting behind the scenes, already knows the answer. And so I'm always very curious. When Dave Biddle chooses a topic, I think to myself, okay, that's probably something that's coming um, because he's asking about it. Uh, you have a guy like Steve Hellwagon at Bucknuts, too. He's just, he's just been around forever and has just tremendous, tremendous ins- institutional knowledge um, about that. Um, you guys know what I think of Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis at The Athletic, who have been just a, you know, a big loss for us here at Cleveland.com and just are just really creative, smart, 
really good writers who can go out and and report and just craft uh, tremendous stories. Um, and you saw that here with us, and are really great on the podcast and all that kind of stuff. And so, I, I didn't, I don't want to be a jerk. And if and if I didn't name somebody specifically, it's not intentional. I'm just I'm just talking about the idea that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good people. Um, on this beat who, who do a lot of things really well. And honestly, I think my greatest contribution, because there's, there's a lot I don't do well, my greatest contribution is asking questions in a press conference. So I'm willing to take that on. Uh, and I do so gladly. Um, so really, like, you know, some of the stuff I was saying about um, some of the local people, that I, I don't want you to, like, try to guess who am I calling out, because that's not really what it's about. It's more about the national people who are trying to tell me how to do my job when I'm just trying to, you know, do my thing for, for the people who like the Buckeyes. Another thing you probably don't care about. I'm really off track. I don't know what it is. Um, somebody, I did the takes by the lake finally, and someone said I sounded slappy on there. So I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, I just get. I just get. I get one tracked sometimes about certain things, and I'm kind of ticked off at the technology at the moment that we lost half that Exner interview. So I apologize. We'll get it back. Nathan Ginelli again. More likely, Justin start field starts for one year or starts for three. Like I. It's got to be three because, like, one's not on the board. Like, if he's healthy, he's starting for two. So, like, he's going to start this year as a sophomore. He's going to start next year as a junior. He can't go to the NFL. And he's not going anywhere else. And he's not getting beaten out. And, like, he's the guy. So, like, I think the chances of him, like, fully starting for three years are, like, practically zero. Because I think one of the, I think he's one of these guys who's on, like, an NFL path, which is great. Um, so I just think that, you know, if there's a 5% chance at, at three years, I just think there's like a 1% chance at one year. I mean, and again, like, you know, if we're talking about injuries or something or something, something that's not about performance on the field, then who can predict that? But in terms of like by choice, Ohio State's going to choose him to be the starting quarterback for the next two years. Stewart underscore E4 US vet. Can you give us some good animal analogies that coach Harbaugh may want to use in the future? Um, so like it was funny. So like the Harbaugh thing you saw, it was funny. He did. It was he he had compared something to an anaconda in his first news conference, and then when I asked him about their bullet position at Michigan, it's called the Viper, and he actually said in the in the answer to my question, uh, said like the Viper, like like the Viper, cool name, and like did like a little like a fang thing with his fingers and like made a Viper sound. Is that a Viper sound? I don't know. And then when Tim May said, you know, hey, uh, you know, hey, Jim, you think you're like uh, poking the bear a little bit with Urban Meyer? Um, he said, like, poke the bear. I'm not into animal analogies. And it was like, dude, like you've literally used two today. Um, so I guess I guess uh, I guess uh, a good animal analogy would be like uh, like uh, if uh, if a coach uh, goes oh and four in the woods against your rival, does it make a sound like is that a thing that I could say? I don't know. I just thought it was, everyone thought it was funny. It's like he literally, he was literally like five minutes and two hours removed from two separate animal analogies. It was like, I don't like animal analogies. Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern, this is the second part of Stu's uh, question, had had been asked about, there was, there was somebody there asking uh, a lot of questions about falling attendance, which has been an issue at Ohio State. Not as much as Ohio State, but... Um, the reason they they're shrinking, they've sh been shrinking the stadium a little bit, and the reason they're like selling ticket season ticket packages in partial amounts this year. If they were selling out easily every game, they would never do that. 
They used to sell single tickets. I mean, excuse me, full season ticket packages, and then single game tickets when you could get them. And hard to get into the good games, and that was it. So the fact that they are on to partial season ticket packages this year, like trying to sort of bribe you with. I think there's some of those where it's like you get one Big Ten game, and and they're trying to get you to get it. You have to buy like two of the non-conference games or something like that. Like they're that's a sign that they're having a little trouble with the attendance more so than they have in the past. So Pat Fitzgerald had said that he thinks it's phones. He thinks it's the kind of thing that like older people and Pat Fitzgerald is basically exactly my age. We were at Northwestern, like basically at the same time together. Um, but like everybody's on their phone and there's everyone's so worried about like themselves, the, the, the idea of like tailgating and being part of a crowd and like that connection, that human connection that you get at a game as opposed to being like in your living room. He thinks this generation like has lost that, so they don't want to go to games. And like a lot of people like praised him for that and that kind of thing. And and I get it, but also like I'm sure like when we were kids, people said like, hey, nobody wants to go outside and play anymore. They just want to sit around and play Pac-Man all day. So like, I don't know. People are on their phones a lot. I get it. Like you know what Pat Fitzgerald probably is on his phone a lot, like texting recruits at the dinner table, and his wife probably says, put your phone down. So like I didn't totally buy that. Um, Stu says, my thought is that tickets are way too expensive. And like, that's it. And not just tickets, but like parking, food, like all the things. It's it's just harder and harder to go to a game. And I and I'm much more by the idea of I could have my friends over. I mean, people, it's not like people sit, to Pat Fitzgerald's point, it's not like a ton of people like sit alone in their living room by themselves, lacking human connection. You just like you have your friends over to your house and watch it on your big screen TV which everybody says that that experience has gotten so good. T- games didn't used to be on TV. When Pat Fitzgerald was a kid, there was like there, there was like one game on TV a week. It was like if you wanted to see Ohio State, you had to go. So like, guess what? Guess whose fault it is? It's the Big Ten Network. Guess guess what? The Big Ten Network is also why Northwestern can pay Pat Fitzgerald five million bucks a year. So I I get a little ramped up as 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 much of an old grumpy gray haired dingleberry that I am. I get ramped up sometimes about like when my generation is is. Uh, criticizing the younger generation for like being on their phones when like I'm on my phone constantly and I think it's just more I think I agree with you Stu it's just it's so expensive and a lot of people have jumped in and said that after the fact it's it's just cost man it's just cost and so like make the make the tickets 20 bucks and make the parking 10 bucks and make a hot dog two bucks and let's watch the people show back up again but let's also watch like athletic departments not be able to fund themselves if they don't charge what they charge boy G nearly filled it up love you man We'll get to more of them. In your opinion, why have Day and their staff and the staff had so much success recruiting thus far? This level of recruiting would make Urban blush, and I'm sure most fans didn't expect Day to do this well this fast. Nikki Unders, um, Heartline is one. The the offense is one, right? So the offense, I think there's two things. The offense sells itself, and we saw that right away. Nobody ever questioned. I don't think people ever questioned whether they could recruit offensively. And I think if you see Jack Miller getting in here quick and then Kyle McCord in 2021 getting in here quick and then winning battles for, for quarterbacks, that is not a surprise. And people have asked and written about a lot about what Dwayne Haskins did for Ohio State's recruiting. Same with the receivers. Um, they're a little slow to get a running back in this class. But again, I don't, I don't think they're going to have a hard sell getting a really good running back every couple of years because to say you're, you're the lead guy in this backfield, you're going to have a role. And then, you know, again, they'll get live in. Uh, some of the linemen are a little bit lower rated, but I think they'll be okay there. Um, the defense thing, I think, is halfway getting work done. And 
but a lot of it's the NFL thing. They are they are carrying over so far. This was a thing. Urban Meyer actually had to fight against this. If you look back in the Jim Trestle era, they were not an NFL factory. They were not. They did not. There were not guys throughout the league who were absolute stars, who were playing on Sunday every week, having been former Buckeyes. Um, there were some, but not like now. Not like now when you have Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas and Dwayne Haskins and, and Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, this is Ryan Chazier before his his uh, tragic injury in Pittsburgh. I mean, the, you know, Cam Hay, you know, there's just a lot of guys. And so offensively, they want to be part of this offense. And defensively, they want to get to the league, man. So, like, you can see where they're getting a lot of work done. They have, they have this history with the corners. And they're getting some secondary guys. And that's Halfley's work. Um, and they have history with pass rushers. Right with Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson is a tremendous recruiter, but both Jeff Halfley and Larry Johnson can recruit to the NFL. They have they have evidence to point to, um, and I guess I would argue maybe at the moment. I mean, like Taraja Mitchell was a good get last year, and they have some really good young guys in here. You know, maybe in this class they aren't quite at the level of some of the other positions. Um, so I think it was a question of like, could they continue that? I mean, the the, the Ohio State. NFL brand is really still really strong. And I don't know necessarily that people tied that only to Urban Meyer. So when Urban Meyer got here, he had to overcome something because the NFL brand wasn't as strong. But um, locally, like the personal relationships matter a little more. Nationally, you know, these kids, they they want Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and and Jeff Halfley and Larry Johnson and Al Washington and Greg Studrawa and everybody else and Tony Alford. They, don't want to be, they want them to be nice guys and cool guys, and the parents want to know that the kids are going to be taken care of and you know, be able to succeed in their major and all that kind of stuff. But if you're a national 100, top 100 kid, like you're thinking about the league. And so even without Urban Meyer, I, I understand the belief that Ohio State is still a place that can get me to the league. And so I think that's what's carrying over. Now, was it a guarantee it could carry over? No. But I think the question really in the end was not that Ryan Day had to do anything new. Ryan Day and his staff, they had to just persuade people that the NFL factory would continue. And I think it is. Scott Duda, at what point will we know who this team is? Cincinnati, which is week two. Nebraska, which is week five. I think it's Nebraska. Uh, And I think more specifically, and, and this is Ryan Day's answer as much as mine. Ryan Day made a very clear point at Big Ten Media Days of talking about how the season's broken up. There's just, It's a double bye week season, just so you guys know. It's the way the calendar falls. There's just an extra Saturday in there because you always sort of start that weekend around Labor Day uh, right before that. So there's two buys instead of one because they're, they're fitting 12 games into a 14-week weekend period instead of a, a 13-weekend period. So they play six games by, two games by, four games. So that first six-game stretch is Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, at Indiana, Miami, Ohio, at Nebraska, Michigan State. So, Scott, I think your question is the, is the Nebraska-Michigan State double dip. Because I Nebraska at Nebraska is probably even more than Michigan. At Nebraska is the game that I would believe is the highest chance of them losing. Because um, I think Nebraska is going to be good, and I think it's going to be a crazy environment, and I think Adrian Martinez is going to be tough to stop. And I think that's going to be like the first time when Justin Fields is really, really, really going to be sort of like absorbing what it's like to be an Ohio State quarterback. <clears throat> so I think that's a tough one. But then it's the bounce back, right? Then it's like you're coming back. It's D'Antonio. It's those stinking Spartans who always give Ohio State a hard time. I think it's the double whammy of that. It's it's 
whether you win it, if it's you, if you win at Nebraska, it's can you handle that success? Maybe people doubted you. Now you're riding high. Can you come back and make sure that D'Antonio doesn't jump up and bite you? And if you lose at Nebraska, now can you come back and rally yourself and make sure you don't hit a two-game losing streak? So I, I think that we're going to have a sense of how the offense is going to run. You're going to be able to see. I think the offense by the end of the year is going to be a lot different than at the beginning of the year. And I think by week five and six, you won't see what it is, but you'll see where it's going. And so, and then you'll also have a sense that Adrian Martinez is going to test you. Uh, Brian Lewerke will test you a little bit with Michigan State. You'll have a, a better idea of like how good uh, how good is 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 this defense and and can they really handle this stuff? So um, that's that's my opinion. I'd say by the time you get to that bye, and I had said previously, I think four and two is more likely than six and zero. Oh. I mean, if you know, I think it's, I think I think they're going to be five and one. But the reason I think four and two is because of that double whammy of Nebraska, Michigan State, and then like could Cincinnati jump up and get you? I mean, they're not going to be three and three. I think four and two is a worst case scenario, but I think six and zero oh, just to me is a lot to ask um, for a first year quarterback in that spot. So I think that's when you'll know. That's when you'll know. All right, what's next? Let's see. G Nilly did ask, "What would it take for you to move off your nine and three prediction? Uh, a blowout win at Nebraska? Um, uh, well, like it would be too late, <laughs> right? Like I can't, I can't, I can't change my." pick in week five like if they're if they blow the doors off the basket they're five and oh and i'm like hold on everybody i don't i don't think they're gonna lose three games anymore like that's 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 not how it works that would be actually that's at the point genially where this podcast becomes nothing but people reminding me of my nine and three prediction and how and how wrong i was um and again i i, I talked about this on takes by the lake a little bit this week I, i'm committed to 12 and four with the browns which i predicted before last season ended at in December, before they got Odell Beckham Jr., uh, before they hired Freddie Kitchens, I just looked at the schedule. I looked at the salary cap space they had, what I expected them to do in the draft. I, I was assuming they were going to get a big-time receiver uh, through a trade or something like that. Um, I assumed they would hire a head coach who wouldn't, like, totally – who would have to be better than Hugh Jackson, right? So, like, I, I, I can't get off 12-4 and four with the Browns. Like, I don't care what happens in camp. I'm, I'm in. I'm I'm being more of a normal human with Ohio State, so so I might not be nine and three, and then you guys I can call me a flip flopper, but it will have been information gathering. So you know I'm probably never going to get the twelve and zero because I just think Nebraska, I just like Nebraska, and I just think that's a tough road trip at that point in the season. Um, but I might get to eleven and one or ten and two, and again the, the the stuff with Exeter, I mean like that's that's what I was sort of thinking in my head as we were going through it. It's like. Boy, if 2014 did it, maybe 2019 can too. So, what would change? What would cause me to change from nine and three before the season starts when it's still in the allowable period to change your prediction? Um, they can't be like ten and zero going into Penn State, Michigan. I'll be like, I am no longer predicting nine and three for the ten and zero Buckeyes. It would just be like Justin Fields looking awesome because I, I did figure out for me to say twelve and four with Freddie Kitchens, who's never done this before. And then be like, well, but Ryan Day's going nine and three. Who's never done this before? It's not about the coach. It's really it's about the it's about the quarterback. It's about the combination of first year coach, first year quarterback. Because if, if Baker Mayfield was a rookie uh, and had never really played before and didn't have you know whatever he has ten or twelve starts under his belt, 
um, I wouldn't be a 12 and four. So that's like just, it's a more of a Justin Fields experience versus Baker Mayfield experience comparison. Um, although the upsides there are probably, are probably similar. So it's just that. It's just, if it feels like Justin Fields has a full grasp of the offense and is just making great throws and of course is dangerous with, with his legs, but is not relying on that. I just think that's a high bar for him. But if he is absolutely proving that and that's the way everybody is talking, in preseason camp, and the second part of it is who's playing on the defense. If if, I, if I'm looking out there and the 11 guys that I see are a little bit different than the 11 guys last year, and I like how that's being pieced together. I like how they're doing situational substitutions. I like the way the bullet looks. I like the way they're playing the safeties and when they have three corners in and the linebacker rotation they've settled on and are they playing some of the young defensive tackles and is Tyreek Smith getting a lot of time at defensive end? All that stuff with the defense, that's the hard thing to evaluate. You've got a quarterback that's hard to evaluate and a defense you don't know who's playing yet. So there's actually a lot that could get me off nine and three. Uh, and uh, and just uh, don't uh, don't call me a flip-flopper if I, if I do it. WDK1921, who got a little mad at me because he asked me on Twitter this week, is Steven going to be covering like the, the tournament stuff with like the Aaron Kraft, David Laddie team? And I didn't know. So I said, ask Steven. And then he was like, all right, bro. It's like, I just, I didn't know. Ask, ask the guy who might be covering it. I'm, it's not my deal. So I didn't mean to be like a smart aleck, WDK19. It was just like, if you're asking a question about is someone going to cover something, like just ask them. It's just the easiest thing. So I apologize. Would you agree that there are only nine potentially losable games on this schedule? The only three games that I can say with 90% certainty that OSU will win are Florida Atlantic, Miami, and Rutgers. I feel like there have been four to five, six, four to six games like that in recent years. So would you agree nine potentially losable? Yeah, I, I do, actually. I think like this is a great point sort of illustrating my nine and three. There are not as many gimmies. Maryland is, is coming a little bit, and you look at the Maryland game last year, and I think Mike Loxley is like a really good recruiter. And that's going to pay off down the line. It's just like a good offensive mind. And I think really relates to players in a really positive way. And I think that was a really good hire for Maryland. Will it work out long term? I don't know. But I think Maryland's going to be tough this year. You know, a lot of people are in on Indiana as a dark horse going to Indiana. We've seen Indiana be trouble for Ohio State before. There's one thing to be trouble, another thing to actually lose. You know, I, I just think there's a lot of games. I, I I think like if you think maybe that like Indiana and Maryland can give you trouble, but still you don't think they're actually going to lose it. And now you're down to like seven potentially losable games. And those would be all three West games because the West is better. This is part of the, the product of the West being better. But I think Nebraska's losable. Wisconsin at home is losable. At Northwestern on a Friday night is losable. Michigan's losable. Penn State's losable. Michigan State's losable, and then in the non-conference, Cincinnati's losable. That's seven. And, and normally, I, normally, I think the way that you get to like an eleven and one prediction with Ohio State is like, well, there's only four games they even could lose. There's eight sure wins. So you think they're going to go three and one in the games that they have any chance of losing? I think if you think they have, say, even even if WDK nineteen is saying nine losable, and I'm taking it down to seven. Like four and three in those seven games is like still a winning record, or like five and two in those games, but then somehow they lose one of the games you never th would consider losable, which maybe is where you would have put Iowa and Purdue in recent years. I just, I just think that's part of it. It's not. <clears throat> I was on a, I was on a radio show in SEC country this week, 
And the the host was sort of asking about the the oh you know they're not playing a, a major non conference team this year, and I explained you know it's was supposed to be TCU. They turned the TCU home and home into a one time neutral site game last year. That's why they don't have it this year. They're getting back to Oregon next year, and that's a that's a part of who they are. They always have those games. This is a blip, but but you know like. Week to week, there isn't the peak maybe as much other than Michigan, but like the week to week, I think the level of the toughest seven games, this is a good way to look at it. Maybe I'll look at this. If you look at the seven toughest games in the 12-game schedule, I would bet those seven in totality are tougher than you would have said they've been any time in the last 10 years. Maybe that's worth looking into, but I think WDK19, uh, I agree with your point, and I hope you're helping me sort of flesh out my own explanation of what I think, which is always helpful. RNP Bucks fan, if Ohio State is 6-0 at the first buy, would your 9-3 prediction be up to 10 or 11 wins? Listen, everyone. <laughs> I can't change it. I can change it like right up until kickoff week one. Right up until the Florida-Atlanta kickoff, I can change my season pick. I, I cannot. I'm not allowed to change it after that. So I'm not going to change it. But yes, I do think... It's like the second half of the schedule is tougher, but I think there's danger in the first half because of the inexperience of the quarterback. So if they're 6-0 and 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 you still have Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, Northwestern, you still have those five games waiting for you in the second half of the schedule. I, if they're 6-0, and my belief will not be that they're going to go 3-3 three and three down the stretch. So even though those are tougher games. So, I mean, I think... The way I outlined it before is like the Nebraska loss, Wisconsin loss, Michigan loss. So like maybe two games down the stretch. But to me, that would be like almost like a collapse. Like, you know, if they're 6-0, and then I probably think they're going to go 11-1 and or 10-2. and Like if they're 4-2, and then I might think they're going to go 8-4. and Because like if you're already 4-2 and and maybe you have had some of these issues, then are you sure that you're going to go 4-2 and again against those five teams late in the schedule? You know what I mean? So it's like... Let me say that if you're six and zero at the bye, then I think maybe you're then I think you're eleven and one or ten and two. If you're four and two at the bye, now you've opened the door to eight and four. So that's so nine and three is in the middle of that. So um, yeah, if you if you do two things, which is have Justin Fields find a way to win games. Doesn't have to be perfect. Doesn't have to throw perfect passes. Can have turnovers. But he's going to have to make enough plays. The other playmakers are going to have to pick him up. The offensive line is going to have to play well enough. If all those things happen, and then, by the way, you find a way to go on the road at Nebraska and win against a good team and win, then you're showing me something that at the moment I'm not assuming. Austin Chappelle. Chappelle Austin. I was on the Les Levine show on TV. It's not really TV. It's on Cleveland.com. It's a TV studio. They have TV cameras, but then it's on our website. What's the difference anymore? Uh, but Austin Chappelle said he 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 nobody watches it. <laughs> Did you watch it? Did you go on Cleveland.com and watch me talk for an hour? Uh, Austin Chappelle said that uh, he always thought of me as a radio guy, which is his way of saying that nobody wants to look at my face. I get it. But then he said I was he, I was better on TV uh, than he would have expected because I guess he means I'm not quite as ugly as I sound, and I do sound ugly sometimes when I rant. Sometimes my heart is ugly. Yeah, I got to be me. What happens first? Ryan Day wins a national championship with Ohio State or Ryan Day accepts a head coaching position in the NFL. Like, I think they're connected. Like, I think he increases his chances of accepting a head coaching position in the NFL after he's won a national championship. So, like, is, is like, 
Ryan Day, who's you know like ten and two or eleven one and one every year, but like isn't in the playoff mix and isn't winning a national championship. Like is the is the is college football knocking on his door? I mean, is the NFL knocking on his door? Maybe because I think sometimes with a lot of stuff with the with college football, you can get tied up in results when actually that's not what the NFL cares about. Bill O'Brien didn't. A Bill O'Brien did not win a ton of games at Penn State, and the NFL wanted him. You know, like if people always talk about Kirk Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz is not winning national titles at Iowa, but people always talk about how the NFL would want him, right? So like Pete Carroll's one thing. Um, Nick Saban was one thing, right? I mean, it's those guys, you win it all, and now all of a sudden you're hot. I think Ryan Day could get hot as an offensive innovator, which is what everybody wants. I think he could get hot without winning a national championship, but in your scenario, I'll say national championship first. And then once he wins the national championship, then I think maybe you open your eyes to, oh... Could this guy ever leave us? Dave Fitzgerald, too. Buckeye Fitzy, always a friendly face. I enjoy seeing your questions. Write the road trips on the Buckeye schedule for fans based on both the interest competitiveness of football and the surrounding campus, uh, city, and town. So let me let me double check uh, that I, I get the right uh, road trips this year because my brain... Is Bush. So what are it's five road trips this year? That's also part of why they were more than willing to go to the neutral site um, game because they're already playing five road games. And although uh, TCU would have been home this year, I think, well, it would have been, clearly would have been at home. It's like they knew the schedule was going to have some depth to it. At Indiana, at Nebraska, at Northwestern, at Rutgers, at Michigan. So listen, um, I think Nebraska is the, is the town – the Nebraska experience is the most similar experience to Ohio State in the Big Ten. So, like, if you've never been to Nebraska, and there's probably a lot of Ohio State fans that haven't just because they haven't been around as long, like, a Nebraska-Ohio State game is great. And they have, like, a nice little downtown in Lincoln where you can walk around and stuff. So, like, I would recommend that for sure. Um, at Northwestern and at Rutgers are kind of similar in that the game day experience, not great. Yeah, stadium, eh, yeah, not great. But, like, there's a big city there. And I'll tell you that, like, I think Rutgers should be in the Big Ten. And I think it's silly that they're in the Big Ten. But, like, every time I go to Rutgers, I go to New York City. And, like, last time I was there, I saw Al Pacino in a play. So, like, that was cool. So go, go like, see a play. Go to, like, go to Broadway. And, and, and then that will make up for the fact that you're, like, in a terrible stadium and watching them play a terrible team. So I get it. I get it. And, you know, Chicago's great. I love Chicago. I went to Chicago for four years for college. Like, totally in on Chicago. But if you're, if you're just going to, like, go to the games at Rutgers and Northwestern and not go to the cities, just stay home. At Michigan, you guys know. And I think Bloomington at Indiana, I think Bloomington's a really cool college town. But if you're planning, like, I think if you're a diehard Ohio State fan, um, get a Nebraska trip booked. Uh Get a Nebraska trip booked, and they're not going to play Nebraska every year. They're, they're like in this run right now where they're playing Nebraska a lot, but that's not one that you can rely on all the time. So, like, if you're thinking about that, Buckeye Fitzy, I'd pull the trigger on a trip to Lincoln for this one. You can fly into Omaha. You can fly into Kansas City. I flew into Kansas City last time we went there. Um, save a little money on the bigger airport. Um, drive. Just drive in. You get a Runza. It's like a fast food thing. It's like uh, meat in dough, meat inside of dough, which is like the best food there is, whatever you want to call it. In Nebraska, they call it a runza. They have it at fast food stands. Go eat that. Eat a runza. Go to Lincoln. Have a good time. Nuck butts. I know I'm spouting hearsay, hearsay, heresy. God, I'm stupid. I know I'm spouting heresy here, but does anyone else think Ohio State's chances in this game this year are less than 500? Look, Penn State game the week before will be emotionally and physically draining on the road. It always is. That on the road to an amped up scum. I don't know, man. I've got Michigan 10-1 and going into the game simply because their schedule is as easy as it gets. 
In the East, most of their tough games are at home. Veteran QB, I think they dropped one to Wisconsin early if Graham Mertz is starting. He's the Wisconsin QB that Ohio State had interest in. Uh, young dude, but it's going to be good. Other than that, I don't see the attrition. Um, correction, we play Penn State at home, not on the road. Still emotionally and physically draining. Yeah, 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 uh-huh, yeah, right, okay, good argument, yes. Penn State, Michigan is like a, like almost unfair. And I've never asked Mark Rudner about it, who's the guy who does the schedule for the Big Ten. It makes me feel like I should do this because this has been out for a couple of years now. But, like, I just – boy, oh, boy, man. Like, that is just – that is – uh, Michigan plays Indiana the week before uh, this year. And this is not, you know, the first time. But I think if you look back at 2015, um, you know, there's, like, the point of it that's, like, does having a really tough game against a really good team the week before Michigan make it more difficult to beat Michigan? Yes. But does having a really tough team the week before Michigan make it more difficult to beat that really tough team? Because, like, yes, you're not looking ahead and whatever, but, like, you know, it's Michigan. And the answer to that is also yes. So if you look at the Michigan State game in 2015, there's a bunch of reasons uh, they lost that game. But, like, on the list is that it was the week before Michigan. And that's just a tough schedule, man, that, like, that's what you're asking that team to do. So um, I think the fact that Michigan is at Indiana – the week before hosting Ohio State and then Ohio State's home with Penn State, which one would you rather do? So I, I you know, I, I think it does add to it. Now, the thing is, you know, all this stuff that I'm thinking about Justin Fields, Justin Fields will be ready for the Michigan game. Shea Patterson, I think, might be a more consistent quarterback over the course of the season, but Justin Fields will be ready by Michigan. So, I mean, it's an easy thing. It's like a sports writer thing to say. There'll be a different team by the end of the year. Of course. You know, so if if I were Ohio State, I'd rather play Michigan week twelve than week four. They're never going to move the rivalry game. They, they dorked around with that initially with the divisions and realized that uh, that would be silly. So you know, yes, I don't disagree with anything that you said, Nuck. But it's just it's just going to be tough. It's just going to be tough. Charlie McQuillan, Y-Town Westsider. Can Ben Victor emerge as one of the leaders this year on and off the field? I think he has potential for a breakout year. Also, feel free to up my monthly subscription rate for irritating that coach up north. Ha, ha, ha. Appreciate you, Charlie. Did it for you guys. No. And that's not a shot at Ben Victor. Ben Victor is the guy who made that unbelievable catch against Penn State. Uh helped keep Ohio State in that game. If he, if he doesn't make that catch and run last last year, uh, they don't come back and win. And after that game, in the, in the immediate aftermath as we stood under the bleachers uh, in Beaver Stadium, a lot of people were asking and writing about, here comes Ben Victor. And and I think like it, it turned out not to be true. I just don't expect Ben Victor to be the every week guy or to be the guy that you turn to on a consistent basis in a tough spot. He's tall. He can go up and get the ball, as we saw in that play against Penn State. People love that. We all fall in love with it. We all think he's going to be a red zone target, all that kind of stuff. A lot of times it doesn't work out. He's just not at the top of my list. So I think K.J. Hill is going to be a guy that you're going to rely on every week. I think if there's somebody who hasn't quite done it yet that's going to do it, it's going to be Austin Mack. Um, I think Garrett Wilson is going to pop. I've got my my bet with Drizzy Get Busy about over 600 yards for for Garrett Wilson. I think Chris Olave is going to show us what he can really be. So I like I'm tempted to put Ben Victor behind all those guys. And again, it's not a shot at Ben Victor, um, but like consistency, play after play, not high on my list compared to others, just because they have other good guys. Like 
big playability, um, make a couple like really crucial catches at really important points to really help them this year, 100%. I think that's 100% on the table. Um, but just not just not to the extent on a regular basis of some of the other, of the other dudes. Ben Hyde at Benjamin Hyde. Will you be having a live season preview event in Columbus again this year? Last year was awesome. So if you may notice that we had three guys at the season preview event at the Hopper House in Columbus last year. And two of them were gone. So you guys know this. I will tell you this because I love you. God, I hope I, hope I could talk to court tonight. Um, we're talking to people. We're talking to really good people. We're adding another Ohio State writer. I think you guys know that. Uh, really good people. Really good people. Really good people. People who are going to be really good on this podcast. Not that the podcast is the most important thing, but the podcast is the most important thing. Let's be real. Let's be real. I've said this a thousand times. Nobody comes up to me and says, great story, Doug. Nobody. On occasion, people have said, I like the podcast. That's just real talk. Um... So I would like to have it. We've had a lot of success with our Brown season preview events. We did a draft season preview, um, a draft preview, I mean, that like a live audience, get some food, do that kind of stuff. I will push for it. Um, I think it'd be a, big, a great way to introduce you guys to the person we're going to hire. And I think that hire will be made sooner than later. Certainly we'll have that person in place uh, before the start of the season. Famous last words, but I think that'll happen. They didn't hire me. I got hired in 2005. It took all summer. Because newspapers are notoriously slow with the hiring process. Uh, but now we're a digital media company, so maybe we'll be, we'll be quicker. Uh, but like I was talking to him all summer. I didn't get hired in time. I not only missed preseason camp, I missed the opener, which I think was Miami of Ohio in 2005. I, I missed it. And so my first game was a Texas game. So like I hope that doesn't happen again. So yes, I will push for it, Ben. Thank you for saying it was fun last year. I thought it was fun. I ate some schnitzel. I want to do it again at the Hopper House or somewhere else. Jay sat five. Should we be worried? Day is taking so many recruits so early in the process. He's doing great as a first-time head coach, but I'm a little concerned. It's a lot of doubles instead of swinging for home runs. So Jay sat. I think this is why I wrote the story I did. Um, it's a mix. And he, here's the thing. When you swing for all home runs, you have more strikeouts. That's just baseball fact. That's my baseball beat writer in me coming back out. So you have a few less home runs, but when you're willing to accept some singles and doubles, I think you also raise your batting average. Not the batting average... It matters anymore, but your OPS, your OPS plus, right? You're getting on base too. So you can still be really productive and like a few less home runs, but maybe like a few more walks and a few more doubles isn't a bad way to go. I like the mix. I think in 17 and 18, they had 13 guys in the top 100. They have eight right now. I think they'll get to 10, but I also think we saw them chase. We saw. I thought last year was a bad example of when it can go wrong. And there was some crossover stuff. It's changing head coaches. I get that. But there was just some stuff also where they let some guys go early. You can't lose the Ohio kids to Michigan State and Kentucky and then try to flip them late and not be able to flip them. So um, I like getting those kids found and, and like foundational. It's like support kids. And it's not – I hope all these kids win starting jobs. They, they all can't. It's impossible. Um, but I, I'm not trying to underestimate the Ohio kids. I'm just telling you – there's a higher hit rate on five stars and the top 100 guys and there is on a bottom 350 guys. But the the rate on bottom on 350 and lower guys when they're from Ohio is pretty good. So Jay said, I wouldn't be worried. I get it. I've had other people on text express this, that, that they're a little reluctant about maybe passing on some of these top 100 guys. 
but you're still going to end up with double-digit top 100 guys, and that's hard to do. You're, Ohio State's going to be one of the two or three teams in the country that has double-digit top 100 guys. Um, but there have been some top 100 guys in the past who haven't who haven't panned out. Um, so I think it's okay. Um, you've got to be smart with the top 100 guys. Make sure you get the the ones you really, really, really want. Um, and I think it's okay to supplement them with the local Ohio kids who aren't as highly rated. So I, I would I like the strategy Jay sat, and I would not be worried about it. Doug Heyman, DG Heyman. I see Tuff Borland is on the Buckets watch list. Interesting when we are not even sure how significant his role ultimately will be in 2019. Do they know something we don't? No, they don't know anything. Watch lists are the dumbest thing uh, in college football. Uh, I'm reluctant to talk about them. I'm reluctant to acknowledge their existence because, like, if you're not on a watch list and they update the watch list, like, in the middle of the year, like, you could not be on the watch list all year and still win the award. So it's, like, it's just people making stuff up. The people putting the watch list together just go through and just, like, see who the returning players are for, like, the famous teams. So, like, literally meaningless. Could not mean less. They know less than we do. If we know that Taraja Mitchell and Baron Browning might take time away from Tuff Borland this year, we know a hundred times more than anybody at the Buckus watch list. No offense to Dick Buckus. Eddie Vulich at Zadea. Who I think is Zendaya, and she's on this high school show where, like, kids do crazy stuff. I haven't watched it yet. I didn't like Zendaya on, like, the Disney or Nickelodeon show she was on. My kids say she's a good actress. Uh, I should get behind her. But now she's in this show where, like, Euphoria. Do you guys watch Euphoria? Where it's, like, high school kids doing all kinds of wacky stuff. I don't know. Snuffing helium or something, you know. Um, playing lawn darts. You know, the kind of dangerous stuff. A lawn dart could fall on your foot. Uh, so I always think of that whenever I see at Zadea for Eddie Vulich, at Z-I-D-A-Y-A is the Twitter handle. I think of Zendaya. And then I think, like, should I be watching her show? Do you think Day has a plan for the course of the season? Six games focusing on defense and running game to ease Fields in, followed by slowly opening up what Fields can do as a passer. This takes advantage of the schedule, the greater depth of the team, uh, and the, 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 and the, like, the, the, the tough stuff at the end of the Big Ten season. So, like, Eddie, this is what I would say. 100%. That's the plan. Six games focusing on defense in the run game, ease fields in, followed by slowly opening up what fields can do as a passer. That is a perfect description of how Ryan Day basically explained it at Big Ten Media Day. So you're right in lockstep with him, but also how I think this season is going to unfold. So 100%. And now that's going to make me watch the Zendaya show because that was such a good tweet. All right, uh, let me get to some text questions and some email questions. And always, we appreciate you guys listening here to Buckeye Talk. Okay, late edition from Austin Chappelle, who just sent this in the middle of the podcast before I uh, before I get to the, some of the email questions. Uh, 11 Warriors reported a bunch of uh, minor violations, NCAA violations from Ohio State today. Um, I've done that story in the past. I should be still doing it now, except I'm terrible at my job now. Uh, I'm getting hammered by all my Nebraska and Iowa friends about the self-reported sanctions. How serious is it, and what's your take, Austin Chappelle? Um, it's nothing. Ohio State over-reports. They report all the little stuff. It's good. It doesn't excuse. It's like it's like you know talking to a kid. Larry Johnson thought a kid was a 2021 kid or a 2020 kid when he was a 2021 kid. So we talked to him when he wasn't supposed to. They they made some phone calls when they weren't supposed to. So they got dinged and couldn't call kids for like a week or two. I mean, it's just it's all minor stuff. Ohio State over-reports. Um, 
you can ask any time as part of the open records in Ohio. You just ask for like, I want all the reports of all the NCAA violations, no matter how minor they are in any sport. And by law, Ohio State has to give them to you. And I did a story, I think a couple of years ago, where I got 45 at once. And like a lot of people were screaming at me. A lot of readers were upset. of like, why are you doing this? And like, I'm doing it because I keep tabs on them. And so like 11 Warriors, good job to them. I should have done it. I didn't. They did. They're keeping tabs on them. And, and even when, when you write it, and I, it's the way I wrote it at the time. It's the way they wrote it this time. It's like you acknowledge a lot of this stuff is silly. And the NCAA itself is silly. But it's like it's still a minor broken rule. There's really no consequences. Nothing they did is of consequence because – Here's the thing. When you hear NCAA violations, if it matters, you will know that it matters. So if you hear NCAA violations and you don't immediately hear, wow, this is a huge deal, then it's not a huge deal. Because I guarantee you, if it was a big deal, we would have led the podcast with it. There would be 10 stories on Cleveland.com right now. (coughs) And there's not 10 stories. There's one. Steven wrote up you know, what 11 Warriors reported. So it's like, it's it's nothing. And I know there is a part of when anybody, any college sports fan, any college football fan, especially at a big-time program, especially at a big-time program that has had issues in the past, you hear NCAA violations and the alarms in your head go off. And I get that. This is nothing. So like, just tell your friends that like, this is just reporters doing their job. They're checking in. Explain that if it was actually an issue, you wouldn't have to ask because you would know. And so... If, if you're not accompanied by um, immediate outrage from a lot of people, then it's nothing. Tobin Howard on Gmail. You can always email us at Buckeye Talk Pod, Buckeye Talk Pod at gmail.com. If Urban was still the coach of the Buckeyes, what are the chances that Ryan Day would still be in Columbus and that Justin Fields would have transferred to Ohio State? What might the staff and quarterback chart look like? So I think Ryan Day would still be here because I still think like Ryan Day would have been told, like, you're next. Um, and Ryan Day would have had an understanding that that Urban Meyer had this cyst issue and it was going to come uh, to a resolution sooner than later. And so, like, like it, it depends what your question is. If the question is, like, if Urban just say, you know, say Urban would hung around for one more year, but everything else was the same, Ryan Day would be here. If Urban was, like, 100% healthy and was like, I'm good for the next 15 years, Ryan Day would be gone. Ryan Day would have taken the Titans offensive coordinator job and like that would have been fine because like you would have had urban meyer and you would have hoped that urban meyer made another good hire at quarterbacks coach so like you had to suffer through tim beck um but you had tom herman he was good and now you have ryan day he was really good and now you have mike yersich who ryan day thinks is going to be good so you know if ryan day knew you were up next he would have hung around for a little bit more if if you're in a world where urban meyer is going to coach until he's 65 uh, Ryan Day would have been gone looking for that opportunity. He's at the age, he's 40, he wants to be a head coach. He would have gone looking for that. I ask, he says, because I honestly feel like what occurred is in the is the best short and long-term interest of the program. Safety blanket staff members are gone. The succession has already happened and Urban couldn't have coached more than two, three years at the max anyway. Love the pot and thanks again. So I think your point's well taken, Tobin. I don't think you're the only person that thinks this and I know I was talking about this uh the other day with somebody just about like how this all came down uh with Urban Meyer and again the cyst the cyst the cyst the cyst the cyst the size of a fist in his brain is why he's not the coach did he like how Michael Drake handled the situation no did it influence it maybe um but the idea that like two of his best friends Greg Schiano and Bill Davis were terrible at their jobs last year and that it would have been almost impossible to bring them back and that he would have had to fire his friends 
Uh, somebody brought that up to me, and, and I think I've thought about that. We may have talked about it before, but it's a good reminder. It's like it was just getting to that point where that's the hard thing about hiring your friends is sometimes you have to fire your friends. And like Bill Davis, who was the best man at Urban Meyer's wedding, Bill Davis could not be their linebackers coach this year. Like it, it absolutely, and I say this all the time, would have been dereliction of duty. I mean, it would have been almost fireable for Urban. How can you have this guy in your staff after what he's done? Um, and Bill Davis is in the NFL right now. He got a job. It's because he's an NFL coach. He's not a college coach. And he proved that here. So I think the idea of like that was a bonus to Urban Meyer. If I I just call it and pull the plug on this, then I don't have to make that decision. And and Ryan Day talked to Big Ten Media Days. That was a tough decision. That's a big test for a first-year coach. Who are you going to retain? Who are you not going to retain? But I mean, like he didn't really have a choice with Bill Davis. And he didn't really have a choice with Greg Schiano. So like he knew they had to go. So it's like he was saying that was a tough call. It really wasn't, though. Alex Grinch left on his own. And he kept all the offensive guys. So, like, actually, Bill Davis and Greg Schiano were so obvious, they kind of knew they were out the door. They wouldn't. They weren't, like, protesting their firings. They knew they were done. Alex Grinch was like, I'm out of here. And so the only tough one was Tabor Johnson, who I think was borderline. You could have gone either way. But I think, um, you know, they wanted a guy like Matt Barnes, who clearly would have been, who is Jeff Halfley's assistant in the secondary and is not a decision maker. Tabor Johnson was the corners coach. I think to ask Tabor Johnson, who's been a big time assistant coach to go to like, you're the assistant secondary coach. You have to do whatever Jeff Halfley says may not have worked out. So I think maybe even there, there was kind of a way to back out of it. Um, so no offense to Ryan Day, but actually not as hard, not as hard as it looks on first blush to get rid of the guys you did. Dan Ryback sending the email Brian Hartline's crushing it for 2020 and 2021 receivers, but I'm I'm the only one who has reservations about our 2019 receivers. He liked the speed last year. He thinks Austin Mack, Ben Victor, and KJ Hill are all possession-type receivers. Olave's small and not a burner. He lists his 40-time. Garrett Wilson appears to be headed for greatness, but he's yet to play a snap, and he's also not like a 4-4 guy. I think Jalen Gill, an experienced, and maybe Jamison Williams, another yet to play a snap, are the two best speed options to take the top off, throw in a new quarterback, and I'm slightly concerned. Tell me I'm wrong, and I'll be very happy. Um, I think you're wrong, and I think it's because sometimes speed can be overrated, and they used it really well. Uh, with guys sometimes. Like they used it with Terry McLaurin. They used it with Johnny Dixon. Uh, they used it with Paris. Um, you know, I think I think you make an interesting point. This makes me want to ask Ryan Day this exact question. Like, are you comfortable with your speed? But I think Garrett Wilson is going to find a way to get open. I think Chris Olave is going to find a way to get open. Uh, I think Austin Mack is going to find a way to get open. And I think Ben Victor in his own way, as we talked about previously, can be a guy down the field who can go up and make some plays. So I get what you're saying, and I honestly hadn't thought about that. And so, Dan Ryback, I think you make some really good points about the raw speed and what we've seen that do to defense. But I think Justin Fields has a good arm, but I also think he's going to do more of taking what they give him. Um, And Dwayne Haskins did that at time last year, too. But I think they have some guys who can go... I think Olave is maybe faster than, than this initial 40 time that you list. And I'm not going to pretend I know they're 40 times right now. Uh, I think Olave is better than that. And is more dangerous than that. I think you can throw Demario in there a little bit. I think Demario can scare defense a little bit. Um, but I think I, I think they have enough receivers uh, that can be playmakers. And that Ryan Day and Mike Yersich and Kevin Wilson will find a way to get them the ball the right way. And so... It's worth asking about, and I'm going to ask it now. So good question. But if you say, tell me I'm wrong, and I'd be very happy, I guess my answer is this. I don't think you're wrong, 
but I don't think it's going to that. I don't think that in particular will keep Ohio State from being what they want to be. Chad Tarbutton, longtime listener, Virgin Question Shooter, Virgin Question Shooter. That's our next Buckeye Talk uh, T-shirt. I just noticed Jeff Halfley and Brian Hartline were already ranked number three and number two in the nation for recruiting coaches. What other new Buckeye coach could join them in the top ten, if any? Thanks, Chad Tarbutton. He's the sod father. Oh, looks like he's a he's a lawn care guy. The sod father is like a tremendous name. Uh, so Chad Tarbutton, thank you for asking your first question. I think it's Al Washington, and I think it's Larry Johnson. I think we've talked about here before. Uh, Larry Johnson's ability to grab defensive line guys late. Um, I don't know that that's going to manifest itself this year in this class because they only have probably three spots left, maybe four. I think maybe they, a defensive lineman might be one of them. And I think they're announced some good kids there. Um, I don't think they have, they don't have a Zach Harrison, a top 10 defensive end they're going to pull late. They don't have a Chase Young that they're going to pull as a top 10 guy, Nick Bo. So they've had so many of those guys. I think Larry Johnson. Tyreek Smith, Larry Johnson, went and got late. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen this year, but I think like Larry Johnson has that type of like he's a top ten recruiter in terms of in terms of like the ability to do that when needed. Uh, so I don't think anyone else is going to like jump into like and these are re- recruiting rankings. I think it's by rivals where they just based on the class the guys that you've been the primary recruiter for. Uh, where do you rank in the nation? And when Brian Hartline's pulled in. Uh, four receivers, the caliber of Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, G. Scott Jr., and Mookie Cooper, he's going to be way up there. And when Jeff Halfley starts pulling in kids like Court Williams and Clark Phillips and Lejon Cavazos and all these defensive backs that we've seen, he's going to be up there. Um, I think Al Washington is the other guy who can get there. And I don't think you're going to see it as much with the with the linebackers necessarily this year. I mean, that's the guy. I, I want to see Al Washington go get um, some top 50 national linebackers in 2021. Uh, and I think he can. And I think I think that's what they're expecting of him. And I think maybe just the way the position groups broke down and some of the guys they liked um, with the Simon kid and the Melton kid, you know, maybe they're not. They're, I mean, they're both highly ranked. You know, they're not top 50 kids necessarily. Um, but I think, Chad, to your question, I think right now the, the recruiters that you can rely on confidently are Brian Hartline. I think Jeff Hathley's shown it. Larry Johnson has shown it over his whole career. I think Tony Alford doesn't get the opportunity as much because, like, running back, you're not going to get five guys. But I think Tony Alford can go get a back when you need it. I think J.K. Dobbins is proof of that. I think the kid they're going to pull in this class at running back sounds like it's going to be B. John Robinson. I think that's going to prove that again. Um, so I think Johnson, Halfley, Hartline, Alford in his own way, and then I think Al Washington is the guy you're looking to make that jump. He's, he's a guy I think has a good reputation as a, as a recruiter. And so there won't be another Ohio State guy on that list this year. But I think guys like that, I think Al Washington could be there next year. Khaled, Khalid Jazar. Hi, Doug. I've been a loyal listener for two plus years. Great podcast and always interesting and funny discussions. Jumping to the question, probably a topic of further analysis for your future pod. You keep predicting nine and three. And I respect your takes, but am I crazy and am I a homer to think that in a Joey Galloway manner, they could go undefeated or at the most have one loss? Um, He's looking at the 17, 18, 19 recruiting classes, which were all in the top four in the nation. Looking at the changes on the defensive staff. Um, He thinks that Ryan Day from an X and O standpoint might be an improvement over Urban Meyer. 
Um, he thinks that Ryan Day is not going to have the same kind of loyalty to an assistant. Now, Ryan Day, I think, has a good relationship with Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley's here because of Ryan Day. Um, we'll see how that goes. But again, the stuff we just talked about with Bill Davis and Greg Schiano, Khalid's, Khalid's Khalid, I, I apologize, is making that point. Um, so in conclusion, he writes, so for this upcoming season, the players are good. The coaches, at least on paper, seem to be an upgrade, which I know could be an assumption only at this point. And the head coach is a gingery young coach who's not overwhelmed by the details and doesn't have health issues. Urban is also still across the street for any insider motivation that Day needs. Day has all the resources and players to take this to another level. Why would we assume that he won't start hot like another young up-and-comer in Oklahoma? So here's why, and I'm going to end with, (laughs) I'm going to end with this one. Because I really, I mean, you guys are just asking some great stuff. Um... I'll ask one. I'll do one more after this because it's quick, and I appreciate you guys sending in questions. I don't disagree with anything you wrote, Colin. I don't disagree with anything, and like that's the formula. Like you've a hundred percent outlined it. The defense wasn't good enough last year. They got all new defensive coaches. Um, the offense had a really smart offensive play caller. They made him the head coach. Um, the recruiting classes that we've been waiting for when they got the number two class back-to-back in 17 and 18, those guys are second-year and third-year players. This is their team. This is what we've been waiting for. It's all here, 100%. I just I just have trouble with the young QB, and that's, that's really what I'm finding. I have trouble with the young QB, and I, and I just I know that Urban is... Excellent at the motivational stuff, and I'm curious to see what Day does when when there's a bump in the road. But I can't, you know, like I, I've, I I understand, and as I thought about this this week, and as we discussed the 2014 thing, anybody who thinks I'm nuts for saying nine and three, like you're probably right to think I'm nuts because there are so many things that you can point to. And all the things that Colin just did point to. And they're all true. And it's like, who would you rather have, honestly, as much if I'm worried, if I'm saying, eh, first-year head coach. Honestly, truly, in your heart, if you were if you were tasked with having Urban Meyer and last year's defensive staff or Ryan Day and this year's defensive staff, what would you pick? You'd, you'd pick this. You'd say, you know what? Urban Meyer was a legend, but we've got to get rid of, of Bill Davis and Greg Schiano. And a disgruntled Alex Grinch, like we've got it, we've got to get rid of them and get in different guys here. So if the cost of doing business is that you lose a legend, it actually might be the cost that you have to pay, and you're you're like happy to pay. So I 100% get it, and I'm just, I'm going to tell you what I've said before about this. And here's what I'm not going to do: I'm not going to stubbornly hang on to nine and three, and like be dismissive of arguments against it. And uh, act like my nine and three prediction is obvious, because that's not fair and it's not right. Um, but I'm going to hang on to young quarterback that makes a couple mistakes, harder schedule than you think, with some back to backs in there, whether it's Nebraska, Michigan State, or Penn State, Michigan. That just you know what, man, that's just hard to do. And then like the bounce of the ball that you can be really good and they can go against you. And then just like the, the the motivational stuff that I feel like Urban was so good at, and we haven't seen Ryan Day do. Like that's what I'm hanging it on. But 
it might make more sense to hang like an 11 and 1 or a 10 and 2 on those reasons rather than try to hang a 9 and 3 on those reasons. But and, and maybe we'll get into this. Maybe we'll have Colin on next week and we'll try to get some of you guys on. If we want to do this 12 and 0 podcast, I want to hear I want to hear why my stuff that I just brought up won't happen and why all the best case scenario stuff that college just outlined and that you guys are thinking about why that will. So I think there's some really good points to be made. I appreciate you guys bringing those up. I think we can have a fun discussion about it. Um, I'm here to take the heat on nine and three right up until I change my mind. <laughs> until I change my mind. Ugh. It's hard, man, because like it, you can fall into a trap of just and maybe only I can, of just like forgetting how good the talent is, like all the time, you know? It's just good all the time. And it's like, well, what about this? What about that? And it's like the talent's good all the time. And sometimes it's not much more complicated than that. And I I am a very deep, complicated person, and sometimes I can make it more complicated. So, so I'm going to think about it. I'm going to talk to you guys about it. We're going to hash this out. Um, we're going to learn, we're going to observe, we're going to talk to people, we're going to ask questions, and we're going to try to gather as much information about this team as we can. But uh, here we are in late July, and I'm still at 9-3, and three, but I can feel you guys. and I, It's not you guys, I can feel the talent of this team sucking me away from 9-3. and three. So, not going to get to the text questions this week. want to make sure you guys, if you're thinking about it, get ready to subscribe to those texts. $3.99 a month, Project Text is 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 where it's at. Uh, cleveland.com slash project text p-r-o-j-e-c-t t-e-x-t cleveland.com slash project text is where to find it uh super grateful i'm just gonna tell you again this is this is a a company-wide thing that we have launched um not just in cleveland but it's expanding across our network of, of digital outlets around the country we were the guinea pig program we have, I think, probably about 12 different reporters who are doing it now. It started with the four main sports beats. We have 12 different people doing it now. And I'll tell you this, like it's not really close. My texts are the most popular ones. And it's not because I'm so great. It's because you guys are great. And so I've talked to people. I talked to somebody who's one of the national people who's running this program uh, for us. And they were asking me about why project text and the company's excited about it and we've we've got to find ways to make money or like i'm not gonna be around and we're not gonna be around not in the long term so like how could we how did we do this at cleveland.com how why do i have so many ohio state text people and i said it's because we're a community and we were a community before the text started and the community is this and it's this podcast and it's loyal listeners who stick by us um, through people moving in and out and, and through us having some rough times in this podcast sometimes. And um, you guys sticking by us because A, you love the Buckeyes and B, you like the way we talk about it. So that community has allowed Project Text to succeed. And so if you're part of this Buckeye Talk community, I'm grateful to you for that. And I would just ask you if you if you haven't done it yet and you're thinking about it, go to cleveland.com slash project text. See what you think. Again, camp start in August 2nd. August would be a great month to try it. One or two texts a day. Um, almost everybody who's done it, people are not dropping off. The, I, I can see the numbers, and the people who have tried it are sticking around. Almost, I, I mean, I think it's like 95%. If you've tried it, you've stuck around. because um, And that means to me that I think either people forgot and they <laughs> their credit card keeps getting charged. I don't really think that. I think you guys like it. And I think um, 
It's an outlet that if you're a diehard and you read everything on the internet, then you probably want stuff. You want texts. And if you're one of those fans that puts this on, on the treadmill or in the car, and maybe doesn't have time to read every single thing, then let me be your landlord. Let me be your lifeline to the Ohio State news that matters and the Ohio State insights and opinions that interest you where you don't have to go look for it. And just like this podcast shows up in your phone uh, once a week, these texts show up on your phone every day. So let me do that for you. If you're the kind of person who wants to know about the Buckeyes, but you're just busy, let me be that for you. So uh, I just I feel like I've been all over the place like emotionally in this podcast. I was like a hothead maniac, which is what I am. I'm like getting myself choked up talking about you guys here at the end, which I, that's part of me too. I cry all the time. I scream all the time. I was screaming at a guy today on the road, like not good. I'm just a, I'm just a knuckle. I, ugh. I'm all over the place. I just wear my emotions. I just, I sweat. God, it's, it's a, I'm a mess. I'm basically, I'm a mess. And so, um, you guys keep me centered sometimes. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. And I'm rambling too much. I will say this. I wanted to read some reviews. I won't, I won't make you listen to them, but I think there were three iTunes reviews this week that all mentioned that this podcast is not as good as Menace to Society, the Zach Smith podcast that I know a lot of you guys are listening to. And like, I can't do what Zach does. Like I, I did not, I haven't been a coach my whole life, so I don't have the inside stories to share. So like, you know, good luck to every podcast out there. Tim May has a podcast with Letterman Row now. I think another podcast is going to be joining the Ohio State scene soon. Like there's a lot of good podcasts out there. We all do it a little bit differently. Um, but like in the reviews, it was like, I don't know if somebody at Menace to Society like signed up with like three usernames on iTunes and sent three different reviews that like criticized Buckeye Talk and said Menace to Society is better. Or if it's like just coincidental that like three different reviews popped in and three different people at the same time thought like, hey, Buckeye Talk stinks, but you know what's good? Menace to Society. I'm gonna I'm gonna like go on iTunes right now and say that in the review. So we are who we are, baby. And uh, we're gonna get better. We're gonna get even better really soon when we add this person. So that's it for now. That's enough rambling. Um, love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'll keep you posted on where we are with getting this uh, new person on the Ohio State beat. For but uh, but for now, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>